0: Constellation, Last Stand Media's conversational podcast, is brought to you by you. If you want to learn how to support our podcast network, head to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Salutations. Welcome back to Constellation, Last Day Media's conversational podcast. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan Moriarty. Dagan, good to see you, my friend, looking like Delson Rowe yet again. Infamous. You have no concept of that character at all, but I'm just going to keep saying it. Uh, welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you today?
1: I think that's three times now. Yeah. You think I would do the research?
0: Yeah, it's really, I mean, that, maybe that says everything about Infamous Second Son. I don't know. Infamous, yep. Yeah. That's
2: what I was going for. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's good to see everybody. I love these faces. We were just talking weather before uh, we started rolling cameras here. And it's so weird, like in the Northeast, at least, we're in that kind of weird zone where fall is setting in. And I try to go out and do my hourly walk in the morning, but it's that kind of vibe where it's colder in the house than it is outside if you don't have the heat on, right? So it's gray and it's kind of overcast and it looks like it's going to be freezing outside. Then you get out there and it's like 55, 60 degrees. (laughs) But I want to do my brisk walk, so I come back all sweaty I don't know. I don't know if I want to do the exercise before the podcast because I just, I want to kind of hold on to whatever energy I have. Yeah, totally. You know, I'm an old man.
0: Yeah. You
3: can't take it easy. Oh, yeah. i find it's <laughs> the opposite i find when i exercise before shows i have more energy like the blood's flowing properly that's because like, you're
1: young maddie yeah okay.
3: <laughs> do
0: you do you work out before the show maddie before I mean, welcome uh, when to the when show. i'm being Mr. responsible maddie, please, please, yes welcome, welcome today to my
3: workout was cleaning the house <laughs> so the whole okay. house is spotless but i mean i was up running around for like an hour so that was uh that okay. was my exercise if you will <laughs> but yeah just as long as i'm on my feet getting like the blood flowing i usually feel better during a show that and kaga and i were talking got to have a full stomach. My stomach's not full. Yeah. We're in trouble. I'm like half the
0: podcaster. I am in an empty stomach. It's
2: terrible. Interesting. Yeah. affects my mood big mm. time. Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, Mr. Maddie, right. plays good to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. And, uh, let's get you in here too, Lord Cognito. We have our Dukes here with us, Dagan, this week. Yes,
1: we do. Uh,
0: Welcome to the show. How are you today, my friend?
2: Doing good. Doing good. Good seeing you, seeing everyone. You know, Obviously, for the Royal Wedding, we talk a little bit offline. (laughs) It was so cool, man. It was so cool. So fun. And then, actually, Ramon was a highlight for for me as well. That was really cool. Oh, cool. I'm glad you got to to talk to him and hang out with him.
1: Oh,
0: so dope. He lived in uh, Jersey City for some time. He was um, telling
2: me we were yes. just vibing. We had like a whole Jersey City, New York kind of thing. It, it, it Bronx. It was so mm-hmm. yeah. dope. Yeah. yeah awesome. Catch up with it. Obviously the Hogs and uh, G. It, it was just, a, it was a cool coming together of everybody. Put the names to their faces. And, and, and Lady Betty. She was oh awesome. yeah, of course. Yeah. My mom, my mom, my mom's such a social butterfly. Like she loves yes. this kind
0: of stuff, you know? I don't know where I come from because I'm not like that at (laughs) all, (laughs) but that was, but I got to say at the wedding, my, my fears were allayed just that I feel like I would have loved more time with everyone, but I, I was so happy that I got to spend time with everybody. I was so weird comparison, but I've been watching a lot of documentaries about the Romanovs, like the Russian monarchs. Oh, and, uh, for some reason, and I was watching a video of Nicholas II's marriage to Alexandra of Germany or whatever, and there were you know tens of thousands of people there and i was like and there's a crazy old school video of it and i'm like what is even going on when a wedding gets this big like what the fuck is this like who who do you pay attention to what do you you're just kind of segmented off so i'm glad that i'm not a royal monarch oh and i'm especially glad i'm not nicholas II since he got shot in a fucking basement by the by the, uh, <laughs> by the communists but that's a that's a whole other thing well, my friends it's good to be here with you guys today and thank you um, for being here with it. So I was saying this before. I don't know. Maddie was here yet. I think Cog was here, but I was just saying it's so beautiful out right now here in Virginia with the leaves changing. And it's you guys are up further north, so it might just be pretty much over at this point for you. But here, yes, because it's, it's been treasure. so mild, I'm like, damn, dude. And I, what I was saying was, it's just how does the world get off being so beautiful? Sometimes it's. If you believe that everything is just and I kind of do that, everything's just kind of happenstance. The beauty is not even intrinsic to anything other than that it's happening. And then we're able to observe it. So you look at like the night sky full of these stars and it's just that they're there. And it, mm. that's just physics. But it, we we approach it as this beautiful thing. And so I'm looking at the the wood line around my house and around my neighborhood. And I'm like,
1: this is fucking insanity. I was yeah. not expecting Walt Whitman Colin right now. I'm <laughs> I'm <Reductive>
2: Colin. <laughs> I am like it. I like this energy. It's a good energy. It's a good vibe. I like, like it, too. man. Yeah, yeah I like got it. like a
0: late nineteenth century American writing kind of thing going on right now, I guess. I don't know what that's all about. All right, my friends. Well, we have a good uh, we have a good combination of topics here. Dave, I'll tell you right now, I love your topic. We're gonna to put it at the end of the show so people can skip mm. it easily. OK, because um, it's political and I'm trying to let people you know know those things ahead of time. See, I <laughs> I would make the show even more political than it sometimes gets. And I don't think the show gets political at all compared. You know, this show is very much inspired by a show I used to do a kind of funny called The Game Over Greggy Show. And that show used to get way more political than this show ever gets, because I kind of I'm also kind of tired of it a little bit, but I know people kind of want to get away from it, but I like to try to tuck things away so that if people- do Yeah, don't want no, to, it makes
1: sense. And my yeah. my topic is politically affiliated, but it's still fun. At least right. the the kind of vibe I'm spinning on it, you know, and it's kind of something that's going to touch us all, I think, especially this time of year. Yeah. So yeah. it was. A, it's not a specifically, it's not Israel-Palestine. Okay? Yeah, Dagan wants to talk like about, about Hamas, and we'll put that at the end of the- <laughs> And we'll put that at
0: the end, the, <laughs> <laughs> the end of the podcast. We'll put that at the end of the podcast. All right. So let me look here at the different topics. You know, Maddie, I want to talk to you first this week. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, I, wanted, I, I read your email.
0: You you had you had two topics, and we realized we we nixed one of your topics. So this was the original yeah. topic we were going to do, and I kind of feel this a little bit. At least the way I feel, you're going to go with it. So I want to hear what you have to say about this, and maybe we can begin an interesting conversation. Sure,
3: sure, sure. So yeah, I was going back and forth for those who want the backstory. I had this topic we're going to get into, and then I had lying because I've had encounters of both of these recently. <laughs> now, Dag was quick to catch me. He's like, Matt, we done lying. So I, was, I had this whole spiel plan. When you know, I sent my first topic in, I was like, wait, wait, wait. I was like, this one I'm really passionate about. Like, we all got that story. But what I want to talk about today is naturally in heavy-hearted manner, Matty brings the serious topics. I will talk about forcing change, right? Um, because I, talk, I I think about it this way, right? So I'll get into a story. But first, I kind of want to set the table on that. We all have this planner ahead, at least I feel I do, of like how I want things to go, right? I want to do this, then that, that will lead to this, I'll leave that behind, then I'll move on to this, like I got this complex long-term plan for my life all laid out, and I'm very much a man with the plan, so like I stick to that, right? Like that's, That is the thing that guides me day to day, gives you a sense of purpose, and so you don't want that plan shaken up, but sometimes physical or mental health necessitates that change and you've got to switch the plan. Um, and so for me, what it's what it's been is is something I've t- it's really not much of a story now that I think about it. It's it's kind of the same shit people have heard me talk about like either on Defining Duke or my own channel is that like, yeah, I'm working an unhealthy amount and I need to find a way to re-strategize without crippling myself financially or ruining the things I'm investing in and making sure the people who are working for me are taken care of while also taking care of myself so i'm rejuvenated and fresh enough to watch over everything that i do and to work on everything i do and so my long long long-term plan was sort of like this you know stick with duke of course stick with mr maddie stick with retro rebound stick with the game development but once the game comes out there's this potential of like okay things got to shake up like that could be the next fork in the road for me right it's like okay like maybe it pans out really well. Who knows, right? Um, I hope it does. Pans out really well. Um, And from there, you got to kind of shake something loose. Now, I always want a podcast and I always want to do retro rebounds. So I'm like, okay, Mr. Maddie feels like the area you scale down, which I think it needed to in the first place. Like, I don't think people have time with the influx and saturation of content. I don't think they have the time or the desire for like four videos a week from the same person. I just don't think people are looking for that, especially with me all over the place. You can get me seven days a week if you really wanted to with across all the things I do. Um and so as of late, I've just found myself, I mean, granted, we're in this final holiday stretch. So a lot of extra work is being put in on top of what we normally do. And so it's kind of giving me pause where I sort of had this thought last night, or no, two nights ago. I like worked till <clears throat> like one in the morning. Um and it was like after it was like I finished up Duke. We wrapped up at like 1030 and then I had shit to do still. I was like, OK, like I went up, grabbed dinner and like ate here at my desk and kept working on stuff. And I was like, this isn't good. And that, not that it it's like I'm a soldier where like, you know, look, it happens sometimes, you know, if you you know, this is kind of the part of being a business owner and no one talks about is like, all right, you want all of these cool things in life, like the opportunity to cover games and talk about them like, you know. The buck stops at you you've got to be available even at these odd hours so not really complaining about that but i'm like you know i don't remember what it was like to not be not tired i don't remember what it was like to feel really good a lot of days i even though i have energy i'm like i know i have more in the tank if i were taking a little bit better care of myself and so like laylee and i just you know had a long talk about it and um, with just how I think some of the Internet behaves, I think I, I've found myself a little mentally taxed and I'm sure everyone can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Just it's really just social media when I when I break it down in particular parts of social media. But I'm just like, yeah, there's just a lot of strong hatred in this world. And um, I get it. There's a lot of shitty things going on. Um, but I've done this for uh, 10 plus years, we'll just say I, I'm thinking off the top of my head. Um, at least since 2011. But, you know, dating back to like middle junior high school, you know, I've done this since I was like 13. So I've always had clearly like a way of just dealing with it. But I think just that that combination of like physical fatigue, mental fatigue, where it's like, you know, no one's breaking through. It's just like, yeah, you know, like I'm kind of over dealing with a lot of this back to back to back to back to back to back to back days and so on and so forth, that it's like I need to start protecting myself more. And even though my plan is like, okay, I want to do all of this, it's like I need to start working, if you will, smarter, not harder. So mm-hmm. I need to start deploying changes way sooner than I thought I would. And even though that's not part of my plan, I need to accept that's what my life needs and not be so strict with myself. Right. And that you know, from the religious folk out there, like God's plan, right? Like, you know, just (laughs) let it come to you, right? This is, you know, what you think does not matter, right? It's like, this is, um, there's, there's something else in store for me. And I can't stay on the course I'm on because while it sounds great, uh, I'm, I'm thinking almost too linearly, like I've got to maintain everything at the highest capacity. It's like, things can scale up and down. And I think, you know, so long as I manage it that way, everything, can continue on as it does. And that, you know, no one will be missing anything and I'll be happy too. Cause you know, I don't want to abandon anything I'm doing. I definitely have an attachment to everything I do. Cause I put a lot of my heart into it. It's not just a business for me, even though like it's my living. Um, so I'm going on and on, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like I need to just, I need to force change away from the plan I had for myself. And like the way I'm, I'm doing that is, you know, Laley and I, and, and I talked to Locke, I talked to a lot of people about this pretty extensively um, you know we're looking at like how can we scale up retro rebound a bit because that has like all of the lessons I've learned from YouTube have been implemented to that channel like healthier content creation um, less uploads a little more quality driven because you have time to produce instead of like Mr. Maddie, where it's like all right this is the video of the day like I made this in five hours because that's like all the time I have so it's like a quick news video and um, you know it, those types of content building philosophies are deployed in this different channel. And it's kind of where I see a lot of my future where I'm like, okay, I think I want to over time scale down Mr. Maddie to like one or two videos a week. And obviously that is a financial impact, but you look at around that, like what can you do to, to, to pick it up. And so we're kind of analyzing that on how we can scale one up and lower another. Um, because you also want to listen to like, it's also a little feedback driven, like definitely some people, um, you know, love that I'm there every day. I think some people, are definitely like and fairly critical of the fact that like you know it's just news 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 like there's got to, there's it's time to evolve right and I think as I evolve as a person my content always evolves with me Um, that's how it's always been throughout every phase of my life and so I think what's happened is I've had this approach to my content for so long and now it's time to evolve that get over the fear of that change right which I think may be a possibly a better name for the topic instead of forcing change like the fear of change and be like okay Mm. let's embrace it you know this is going to be a good change for you you're going to feel better your audience is going to feel better and everything's going to probably run better and perform better um so i know it's very youtube driven on my end um but obviously i think everyone has this in various parts of their lives and i just want to know for you guys have you ever had a plan for yourself and then you've had to alter course and you had to do something differently from uh from from what you originally thought you were going to do so i'm just whoever wants to go first i'm i I'm curious what you have got dig why don't you take it from here
1: yeah man i kind of this really speaks to my soul right now maddie i mean this is uh i kind of like calling it forcing change because oh. we talk about change sometimes but this is kind of right in my wheelhouse for 2023 i feel like and also by the way i kind of feel like we could do a lying or liars part two episode because i think maddie <laughs> wanted to if i'm not mistaken i think you wanted to take it in like a serial liar kind of habitual yeah okay so can i met. just
3: get into it real fast yeah. get off My chest. <laughs> yeah dude and so just real quick the reason i wanted to do it was i watched i've been watching instagram reels a little bit more than the usual and Cog. And, i think you'll get a kick out of this mm-hmm. lebron james put this yeah. thought in my head this dude is always caught capping <laughs> he's the most famous liar on planet earth and i was looking at it, i was like i got a couple of buddies like this where they just go they run their mouth and you, and you just know as they're talking to you you're like you're so full of shit right yeah, now you're, yeah. you're lying right <laughs> to my
1: face i can't stand it um nice. and it, that's why i wanted to talk about it but anyway sorry Jake, go on no i like that i mean that's a that's a whole different spin because yeah. that's dealing with like a, that character that we all have in our lives maybe we have numerous Characters. I dude, I that LeBron stuff,
0: two. by the way, just—I've seen multiple hilarious. pictures of him where he's like reading a book, but it's like the first yeah, it's page. the of first book. page. <laughs> <laughs> it's so
2: there's good, literally man.
0: a yeah. collage of him like holding books in the locker room, cocky, Yo. <laughs> he's got the first page open. that uh, 4K. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> anyway, Dave, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: That's hilarious. It's a ben, five minute th- video. Of this is th- <laughs> lying. It's a- <laughs> This forcing change thing really speaks to me, man. Because I mean, listen. I've been doing the same thing for a living for twenty five years. Last month, it was tw- marked October, yeah, of twenty three marked twenty five years of being a professional animator and it's it's been kind of a wild ride, right? but it's a, in in defense of animation, it's kind of always been the same. And you guys know you guys have a taste of this from so doing what you do too, like it's working in entertainment, so it's always been the cyclical nature of getting jobs. Riding out the highs and lows, kind of a feast and famine type of thing going yeah, on, yeah. busy periods versus layoffs. It's always kind of been the same. and my my dilemma is kind of putting up with the mercurial nature of the whole thing and riding those tides while you need the stability to have a family and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's always been this it's always been a challenge. And I think up until this year, I always kind of reserved the right or kind of knew I had a choice that I could do what I do and work in animation, mostly in television, mostly for the big studios, right? And work in TV or whatever TV means now, subscription services and all that kind of stuff, work for these big companies and kind of just acclimate myself to this is the way my life's going to be. It's never really going to change. And the bad times like 2023 And whatever it was previously to this 2009, those times are going to come and you kind of ride it out and you kind of get through it the best you can. Hmm. But this year, and I'm not even sure exactly what it is, what was the straw that broke the camel's back. In all fairness, probably a buildup, just, you know, a year over year buildup of just the stress and the anxiety and everything like that is when this year, by the time 2023 rolled around, I had already decided like, I need to get out. I need mm. to I need to make my way out of this. So the strategy was, you know, and I I first honestly probably 2021, 2022, I was circling that thought, but I was sort of resentful that it seemed like animation the industry was forcing my hand. In other words, I felt like after 20 something years of doing this, I earned the right to leave. At my own behest. In, in mm. other words, I I earn the right to leave when I'm ready, not when animation's ready for me to leave. Right. So there was kind of a resentful thing and almost kind of a defiant thing. Like, mm. no, I'm gonna leave when I'm ready, even though I'm a, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, it's not good for my health, it's not good for my emotional well being. But I kind of held on grudgingly and stupidly, honestly, until the point of this year I was like, you know what? It's gotta go. I gotta kind of spin off and do something else. I know the things I'm good at. So really for me, it just means stop relying on these companies and go independent. And for Mm. me, it's kind of a weird mixture of self-publishing, YouTube, independent animation, like this whole thing that I want to do that I'm not going to reveal too much about yet, but Mm. that's kind of exciting and really kind of, you know, gets me, gets me amped for the future. But I have to be realistic and just say, okay, it's got to be a slow spin-off. So I got to slowly, sure. I got to get like really, ideally what I would do is I would get a job, let's say on a new TV show for a few seasons, maybe it lasts two years. And during that time, make incremental moves and start slowly working my way out, right? So by the time the project's over, my own independent things are up and running and I can make a clean transition. But that's probably realistically going to take two or three years.
3: Mm.
1: But what, what's so sort of different about this year is that I really honestly know in my heart of hearts that this has to happen. Because it's just, it's just not, it's very similar to what Maddie was saying. It's just not good for me. It's not good for the family anymore. It's not good for my mood. It's not good sure. for my health. And then what's awesome is that the domino effects of positives- that can now occur as a result of that big change, which mm. for me means independence. So, mm. taking better care of my my health, you know, eating better, getting more sleep, um, sleep man, yeah, that's a big yeah, thing. More time for exercise, you know, yeah. that type of thing. More time with the kids, more vacations with the family, more time to work on the house, like just really essentially balance, you know, and also just avoiding the aggravation and the depression and the anger of getting laid off. And, you know, that oftentimes we'll start a project knowing that it's going to end. It's not even a layoff. It's just that this this project has a duration, has a lifespan. You're going to start it. Eventually it's going to end, then you got to look for the next thing. Mm. And even what I'm doing now with working in, you know, doing these commercials, it's it's a blessing on one hand, but you know, I'll work 12, 14 hour days because I want to make it that much better and kind of Manage expectations, but also rise above what's expected. This way, they give me the next commercial over the next guy and that type of thing. And I'm honestly, I'm just getting too old for that. You know, at a certain point, I can't compete with the kids in their mid 20s anymore because they could stay up 16 hours. They got their, mm. you know, maybe they have a little apartment. They're not married yet. They don't have a family, right? Maybe they have a cat to take care of or something. <laughs> it's like, I can't, uh, as an older guy, I, I'm not going to be able to compete with these people, with these boys and girls. So, it really is, this year, I love talking about forced change because it's something that I feel like I've been circling for so long, but now I'm kind of, I'm bearing in on, you know, yeah. having to make this thing and having to, you know, really, ha- it's it's scary in a lot of ways, like Maddie oh, was yeah. saying, because and it is the fear of change because this is all I've known. So for all the tumultuous shit associated with working in animation, at least I know I'm kind of under the protective wing of said company for the duration of the project and all that kind of stuff. I know where my money's coming from. I know that, you know, there's the, you know, weekly direct deposit and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm relying on somebody else essentially for my Mm -hmm. livelihood. Right. So, and all you guys have your independent, um, you guys are the perfect people to talk to. You guys are the perfect captive audience for this because you all do your own independent endeavors. So that's really, that's really the big thing for me is just kind of, taking a whole new, it's a, it's a big life change because what we do for a living our employment is such a big part of who we are and what we do in our lives and how our lives of effect are affected. And it's such a huge percentage of our day and our week and our years, but, and I, and I am scared. I'm not the biggest risk taker in the world. I'm not a gambler, but I know that I just can't, I just really, for my own sanity, I, I feel like I'm going to go off the reservation if I keep going like yes. this. So in the next couple of years, it really has to, that transition has to take place. Do you feel so like there's I'm, a lesser,
0: do you feel like there's a lesser pressure on you financially, maybe incoming too, because your daughter's about to go to college in the next year and a half and your, your, your house is going to be emptying out. And that I'm very curious about that. I've asked Dana, our sister about that too, because her son's going yeah. to college in the fall and they're very sad about it and have a lot of feelings about it. But I'm like, you're kind of going to earn like a shit ton of your time back and a lot of your money back now. Like He's out you know, and yeah, but then paying for college too. Well, if you, oh, so you're going to pay that's nice. You But you say that like that's a given. <laughs> our parents didn't pay fucking anything for our college. <laughs> <laughs> so why would I assume that you were going <laughs> to, you know, I should be clear, like I went to Northeastern with free tuition, but I've said in the past because my mom, our mom worked there and taught there, was an advisor there. Um, and she also was an, an, uh, we have a, a legacy there because she went there, I went there and I was trying to push our nephew to go there and he went to the the campus and got a bet he said he didn't really like it because they got a bad tour guide which i was like "Ah." but this entire like you know um this entire situation of of going to northeastern i learned a really hard lesson and i i'm so it's so cool that parents out there don't do this to their kids or at least give them an option i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing but even if i got my tuition paid for which was fifty thousand dollars a year i still walked out of there with eighty thousand dollars in debt Cause I still had to pay for room and board and books and your fucking meal pass and all oh, sorts yeah. of random shit. Yeah. And it's like, I totally fucked the shit, the bed there. So I think well, it's really that great that I you're going to do that, but you're putting that financial burden on yourself voluntarily. I don't think kids should expect that from their parents.
1: Well, yep. here's the thing with Mike where we're, Helena and I are very fortunate, like, and I compare this to my academic performance or lack of academic performance in high school. My kids do really well in school. So no matter where they decide to go to school, I mean Lilia, it's it's I mean, with Graden, I still gotta I still gotta watch what I say, but with Lilia, she's almost there. And she <laughs> wherever she goes to school, she's gonna get a nice ride. You know, so there she's got, you know, she's got the grades. So there's Helene and I did agree that we're gonna, of course, help the kids with college, but also she'll be getting a lot more than I ever could hope to get at seventeen, eighteen years old when I was a kid. So there's that, which is, you know, which is fortunate. The other thing is when you're a parent, is that you always feel like there's some financial light at the end of the tunnel. Like I think of the kids being little. We're both working. I'm um, commuting to New York. Daycare, paying a nanny. It was nice to be out of the woods with that, but then they reach the age where you're not paying for that anymore. Now it's other stuff. You know, now it's Lilia dancing seven days a week and how expensive that is. And then after that, when she leaves, it's gonna be paying for college and giving her helping her with money for food and, you know, buying her a car next year and all that kind of thing. So there's all it's it's kind of a, a classic case of it's always something. It's never ending. It's just changing where you're where that money's going is changing. But the case going to college is a big part of my financial stress of just like, wow, I kind of feel like, you know, it's time to make that move just for a little more financial stability where I'm not relying on Netflix and DreamWorks and Cartoon mm-hmm. Network and Nickelodeon and all the people I've been, because they'll kick you to the curb when it's time. Yeah, know? they made that clear. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So, really, the big thing was my career. I know people that listen to the show hear me talking about this a lot, but what's new and what's fresh for me and what's exci- scary but exciting is that I'm really realistically realizing now that this has to happen. It's not a It's not a fantasy anymore. It's not a what if. It's a definite thing. It's just, a, it's really for me just a matter of when. So it's just securing that one project, which is possibly in the offing right now, where I could then turn over that hourglass. It's like start that project, set the stopwatch. I got two years. By the time this project ends, you know, I have to be able to make a smooth transition out. And hopefully by that time, just really do my own thing. And also, you know, I, you get this idea. You guys know how it is when you're a creative person. At least this is the way it is for me working in animation over so many years. It's like, I could, I know I could do that better on my own. I know I mm-hmm. have a better idea than this. You know, I know I have something that's funnier than this. So it's that energy of trying. It's, it's finally going out there and seeing if everything I think is, is right. Or if I'm going to fail. And then if I fail, what happens? I just go back. I just go yeah. back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's I really no called, harm.
3: You mentioned that of like, if worse comes to worse, I can always scale back up and try to figure something else out right yeah it's never over it's never yeah. over
1: you just gotta you just gotta with that I
3: mean, head and maybe it's because we all work in the creative field right like the bug again the buck stops at us you always feel it is over if like you just make that one wrong step because like you are we... always, always feel like you're one step from irrelevancy oh totally you're irrelevant yeah, yeah, you're not for sure. valuable for sure absolutely no, we talked about work. that
0: on sacred pretty deeply a couple of weeks ago actually because we were talking about the um that boogie documentary that is yeah, going around. That, I, just and started I, it. I need to see it. I haven't watched it. And I, I, again, I, I don't mean to pick on boogie. I've, I've met him. He's a very nice person. I find the the drama to be exhausting, but um, we were talking a little bit about, op, we were talking a lot about obsolescence and our own obsolescence and how you kind of have to, as a creative embrace it because even the things I love to this day, like I love the band dredge, but they basically don't even exist anymore. They work like normal jobs and, do like art projects on the side of them and trying to get their new album out for years and stuff like they're not anywhere near as relevant as they were when i found out about them and i'm still into them but their situations materially have changed and yeah that will happen for all of us and that's what i was joking around and saying that i've always been the thing i was saying about boogie was boogie never clearly based on his stories and what's happened to him he never appreciated the the that timing and luck play a massive part and that you have this pocket and you have to take the most advantage of it. And people that don't, that could have been as successful and as rich as him, like as seriously rich as him. And I look at him and I'm like, dude, you should have an ins- an, an insane amount of money. I'm not sitting here and acting like any, any of us are hard up because none of us are. But you should be in a, in a great situation right now. And you fucked it up because you didn't realize that you, you're going to be obsolete one day and that people are not going to be into it. And you just have to bake that in. I've been... I've known that so intuitively since I was a writer at fucking game facts in high school that I've been preparing for my obsolescence the entire time I've been anything. And, and That's Digger and I have talked about that in so the so important
3: now too. It's, you know, you, you can, you can stave that off for a long time. There's been, there was one time I, I literally do think I was at the brink. Like it was 2018, and um i just felt like i wasn't gaining any traction i thought like all right i had my pop with fallout 4 and, and many people i know during that phase of content creation like they they call us like the bethesda bros like faded off unfortunately like they just didn't evolve and like i went well bethesda's done for a while i gotta go talk about something else and it took years before anything caught on and i, I always say that the big shot in the arm was doing uh, def- i almost said sacred symbols defining duke um because when i did that it felt like it was like a reestablishment of being a player in the industry and doing something different it's like you're not just a bethesda guy anymore so it's it's equally vital that while you prepare for it that you have to like move it's always about moving out of your comfort zone it's something dagan was getting into it's exactly what i'm going to be doing it's like i got to move out of my comfort zone like you know maddie is the guy who's always there every day of the week and like he may be less available but higher quality and like that's scary because that's not the audience that I've trained that they won't. They, they don't care. It, not on retro rebound, but I don't think on Mr. Maddie. They're looking for like the high quality, like news droppings in the terms of like editing presentation and fun skits and all that shit. So yeah, it's, it's just important to, to stay on your toes, which I think we do here at last stand as well with, you know, the new stuff we've always been doing, you know, we're evolving in meaningful ways. And I think that's what keeps, you know, Colin, your company at the top of the food chain is like we're not stagnant and we move in the right ways. Um, So I think it's a big part of it, too.
0: Yeah, I think we're we're specifically big in the only place that I care about, which is on Patreon. Like everything else is really it's not irrelevant, but it's just we can have no presence in any of these other places and as long as our Patreon is doing great. And I think a lot of that comes from stability, timing, knowing when things die and just being consistent and reliable. And I'm going to get into that with you, but I want because I think I have something kind of poignant to say about this that I don't think any of us really think about, but I want to hear from Cog first Ooh. and I'll wrap it up after that. Cog, what do you have to say about this topic of forcing change? Or I wrote mm-hmm. my notes slash fear of change because Maddie said maybe we would posit it like that instead. Whatever yeah, you this- think
2: works good in the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is relevant. This is relevant. Um, li- listening to all of you, um, just kind of like looking at my life and how I've moved. And a lot of it is is me tr- being adaptable and, and, and trying to, take honest assessments of myself at different stages and you know early on you know cog is extremely athletic you know heavy in the sports i was you know i played point guard i was i was like a good two-way player good defensively athletic i had some spring your boy was jumping up the, out the building early right so in my mind i'm like okay i'm i went to um uh, manhattan center high school um, which is where cameron and mace and I play with these guys and I was on their level and these guys are D1 and I'm playing the top guys. I would treat it almost like martial arts. I would go to the the biggest courts in New York City and and, and play against the top guys and hold my own. And everybody thought, OK, this is a trajectory, right? And then here comes the physical ailments. And at a young age, I didn't know at the time was some type of arthritic condition with my heel spurs and everything mm. always just prevented me from being on the court, right? So that kind of slowed down. So I'm like, okay, what you going to do? And, you know, you pivot. And, and I remember, okay, I like, I like tech and, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to be an electrical engineer. And I remember my first college courses and I was just like, this sucks. Like, I don't like any of this. This is not what I want to do, you know? And I remember it was a big big situation with me and my mom she was just like you know i can't believe you're leaving you got your associates you're gonna leave like this is your your failure like it was it was drama it was drama and we we did not talk for a bit but i basically in my mind i'm like this is not what i want to do right and then you go on to the next stage and that's when i kind of got more into it and the actual you know desktop support and help desk and I'm like, okay, I like this. I'm helping people. I'm a person that takes things apart, you know, fix things around the house. That's technical. And I remember it was a big thing with my grandfather, rest in peace, because he was such a handyman around the house. Cog is not that. (laughs) Cog is not any of that. So but what was funny was when the heat and everything went digital, he had to rely on me because he couldn't work the boiler. He couldn't do stuff. So now our relationship improved, right? So again, it's just pivoting and going on to the next thing. And then, you know, I, I had a great IT career, but unfortunately it started right at 9-11 and there was a crash. And I'm like, yo, what I'm going to do? I got all my certifications. I'm ready to go job market, hire me. Yep. No one's hiring. Right. And I'm just like, yo, I, it was so bad, Colin. Like I had to, Get take a help desk job out of state in like mm. deep Connecticut because no one was of All the people who had way more experience were taking entry-level positions. Mm. And there was nothing for me as this new IT guy. So I had to lie and get a car and say, yeah, I, 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 can, I can commute. I got a car. I can commute to Connecticut, deep Connecticut, like Hartford. It was oh, no, deep. No. Oh, man. So I'm like, oh, yo, you gonna do this? And I remember I was like, yo, I, I have to hustle. What else can I do? So I was doing that for a while. And then I, I worked for the old um, what is it, Philip Morris, Altria. What is it there? Miller beer, Snickers, and whatever. But it was my first gig and I made it happen. And um, again, just being adaptable, going from place to place, and you know, as far as just getting my experience up. And then finally, you know, I landed some more serious some more stable things and you know, for a time, I was fine. But what, what D- Dagan said really resonated, which is um, layoffs, right? And then I finally got to a point where I felt the work-life balance was good. I was in a good place. Cloud administration for five years. I'm like, I, I can stay here. I'm fine. Yeah. And then here comes COVID, right? And you're just like, okay, you got to adapt again. What's the next move? What's the next pivot? And um, that I guess that's just what it is for me. For me, it's always been about work-life balance, I have to enjoy what I'm doing. That's what I realized. I I had the opportunity to make so much money and I still have opportunities to make money. But to me, if I'm not happy what I'm doing, I get up and I go to work and I'm miserable. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work a long time. And I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do next. And then obviously, you know, what we're talking about, everyone's talking about business and content creation. Obviously I have Iron Lords and all that other stuff and Lords gaming, you know, it's not to that point where I would like it to be, but it's growing, right? And then it's that point where you may have to make a decision, right? Like, mm-hmm. as far as the secular stuff, because podcasting and all this stuff, I love this stuff. I love talking. Clearly, I like running my mouth. So it's <laughs> just like, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, I think you always have to be adaptable. You mm-hmm. always have to have an honest assessment at where you are in that stage of your life. And is it trending up or trending down, right? Because sometimes you can love something, but It ain't going to be around. Yeah. Mm. And you're going to be like, damn, what what am I? If I don't adjust or get a new skill set in wherever things are going, I'm out of here. I'm obsolete. And that's I think that's to your point. That's my biggest fear. I don't like being obsolete. (laughs) I want to be so. Maddie, we had this discussion I know it's a controversial one. You know, we had this discussion with Duke about the AI stuff. And Colin, I've heard your comments. And I I respect everybody. I respect the whole ethics and stuff like that. But I guess there's a part of me, and I just want to bring it up, is because I remember going to Target, like I said, Maddie, for the first time. And you go there, and you know, Target's 10 lines. You get on, and you're waiting at Walmart or whatever. But I remember them coming to me and saying, hey, we got this new thing over here. (laughs) And it's just a self-checkout. And you could just, you know, you come out there and you and you be out of here five minutes. So I'm like, all right, let me give it a shot. And I'm like, wow, this was quick. There's no 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 human interaction, but okay. <sighs> the worst thing that could happen is you put your pin number wrong on the card, and, you know what I'm saying. But basically, what ends up happening is each subsequent month and year, you go back to Walmart and Target. That nine cashiers becomes two. Now you go you. Barely see any cashier. You, you have to really true. hunt for a cashier. So what does it tell me? It tells me that the, the skill set to be a cashier, that's out of here. <laughs> you better adapt to learn this machine or be a technician or be some type of involvement with that. Otherwise you think, and I, and I know it's scary and I understand the ethics and I've always respect that because there's a human element that we have to respect here and I get that but I also feel in adaptability and and I think that's how I've always lived my life being willing to at least listen to the change and see if it kind of aligns with my skill set but love the topic and um yeah it it's something I've kind of lived my life but I've always yeah. kind of pivoted that way and whenever think I see things going because I, I i can't be obsolete. <laughs> that's well, how I like it. that
0: mentality goes back to i guess it would be like the second industrial revolution specifically with people it's like the famous like where what do the horse stables go what do they do and it's like oh they become car mechanics or something you know and and that's there's that there's been this adaptability model that has worked over and over again through into like american industry and all of the rest and i think we're finally hitting the end of it like where mm-hmm. it's Dagan and I were just talking about this, about you can't kind of begrudge this this, um, unbothered attitude that some people have about the AI overtake of art and entertainment because the arts and entertainment didn't really care when their jobs went away. And my specific argument is merely that, and people can take it or leave it, I guess, is that working a cash register while a job is not what made you human. Or what makes humans human, but a piece of art like we were talking about with the Walt Whitman shit earlier, and like that's a computer would only know that if you told it to know that, you know, and that's the difference between all these. Things. So, but but you're right. The constant, you know, the malleability I think is really important, and that's what I wanted to say to you, Maddie. And I think it's a somewhat, maybe this is a somewhat poignant thing. And I often don't think that what I say is very poignant because I never thought of this. I wrote it down. And I'm like, this is a pretty good point. In the flattening of access to the entertainment. Industry with things like like I started on Game Facts, right? Which in 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 this world is so quaint, but at that time it was crazy. Like you could just write things, and someone in this random dude that in, in Texas that owned this huge website would publish it, right? And you would get readers, and then you became. That's how IGN found me, and all that's how it really all began. But the flattening began with blogging, and first of all, with really just web like basic web tools. You, you even think about GeoCities and all of that. I remember when my when I made my first com in middle school for like random, trying to get like a random video game website up in like 1996, you had to like write it all in a text document and upload it to an FTP client. And then yes. it had to reflect everything. It was crazy. And then yeah. things like GeoCities and Tripod and Angel Fire it made it so you can kind of build on the web. And that was the evolution. And it started to flatten and flatten and flatten. And then you got like LiveJournal and Friendster and MySpace and Facebook and, and then flat. And then by the time you get to YouTube, It's totally flat now with podcasting and just having we all have the same access to Spotify. We all have the same access to iTunes. We all have the same access to YouTube. There's really nothing different. And that comes with this removal of the barrier. But there's this thing on the other side that we don't really think about, which is that there's no one there that's going to pull the plug on you except for you. Like you could keep going until there's no one left watching your content no one is gonna there's no nbc saying this shit's canceled and we're canning three of the episodes that will never even be seen because no one cares right Mm. like you can just keep going like you almost have to know and have this instinct of when it's time to make a change and i think i think that in this field everyone starts as an obsessive because that is what's necessary there's no way for you to succeed in this space if you are not obsessive I don't know a single person that I've ever worked with that had talent, anyone involved in our company that hasn't at some point in their creative journey been completely obsessed with the creation of content. And that's why I say I always tell people when there's like, oh, I want to start a podcast. I want to start a YouTube channel. It's like I will beat 49 out of 50 of you simply because you'll stop. And I won't. And that's the end of that. And then all I have to deal with is like the little scraps that are left. (laughs) But at some point, Maddie. I think you have to balance the level of success, the amount of money you make and all of the different things and realize your situation and tamp down the obsession commensurate mm. with the demands of your life. I would not be here today if I wasn't obsessed in my 20s. There's no way sure. I said I hadn't you. Cog was talking about life work balance that didn't exist when I worked at IGN. That wasn't a thing. That wasn't a thing for any of us that mattered at that site. And it got us to certain places. But I know that the people I in the I was in the trenches with, like the Ryan McCaffrey's and the Brian Altano's and all those guys, they got married. They had kids. They tamped down the obsession because they had secured their place and they adapted to the new reality. And I just think that that's the thing that we're missing in this space is, and it's good. We have no one saying like, you got to stop. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You got to just know yourself. And I know what it's like to make major changes. Like I really do. I've, pull i've fucking turned the wheel i've been going 150 miles an hour down a highway and then just jacked the wheel to the left like three different times you know and i would say the first one was and and this is where the obsession comes from it's funny because being married and having some of my old friends like um i don't know if you guys met them at the wedding but my my friend mark ryan who met, who uh hired me at ign my friend sin who's my oldest friend there uh they they brought they're both out now sin works at apple Mark Ryan works um, at Mines, actually. And um, it's interesting because I look at them and I'm like, we were all in such a different space then. I was so obsessed with getting in at IGN that I slept on Sin's couch for a month. Mm. I was so obsessed with being at IGN that I slept on Mark Ryan's floor in his studio apartment for an entire summer. Things that I would never do today because that was a different Colin working towards a different goal and trying to get in. And once I got in, I just was crazy. I needed to make sure people saw me in the office that I was putting things up. I became the, the highest trafficked author at IGN period. Right. And that was a building of something. But I tore it all down when I went to kind of funny, which was and started kind of funny, which was people thought was crazy. I, I've said before Absolutely. that Per Schneider sat me down and I don't I'm not mad at him for this. Because I, I love him. I've known him forever, and I know he cares about me. And I also know that it was going to affect him if we all left. So he had to kind of play of that, too. But mm-hmm. he sat me down. And he said, like, you are not built like them, and you are not built for this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you're a writer. And you shouldn't do this, you know. And I did. The, I made the jump anyway. And it was crazy, and it worked out. And that required its own obsession. But the obsession got tamped down from that point. Because I kind of earned my way there was a different kind of level of work and we had to travel and do a lot of things but and now with last stand and you guys know this because i tell you i try to literally tell people work as little as possible like we have these certain things that need to get done sometimes things get crunched like we have to crunch kind of over the next month to get content done that's the earn time off but generally speaking as long as we hit these certain dates and the certain quality level I want you to kind of do as little as you possibly can to meet that bar. I don't need busy work and fucking we were on, on you know, on sacred. We were talking about um, window facing jobs, like the Japanese idea of like giving, you know, companies respect you enough where they won't fire you. They'll just give you shit to not. even so you have something to do. It's like I just want people to get in and get out and to live a life. But I think I had to earn that. And I think every one of us had to earn that in our own little paths as we've converged. And so. I just think it's all situational, and I know that the only thing I think we can all say for ourselves, and i I speak for this confidently is I want to know that when I meet my obsolescence and that change is forced on me that it was the universe and not me mm. i don't if you look at it as a horizontal kind of gradient, I don't know where I begin and the universe ends or where the universe begins, and I end like I don't know how hard my work was and my all of the things I did mattered, and how much just you know, the universe. And I think that that's kind of a scary thing as we as we delve into change and all of that. But I think, Maddie, I guess what I'm saying is I've known you for a long time now. And you met me during in person during the lowest point of my entire life, right? And. You break out. I made a massive change when I left. You want to talk about change when I knew I had to get out of California and get away from a toxic situation? I literally put on the calendar 100 days from now I'm leaving. And that was Uh, I ended up leaving Christmas Eve and I literally was like, I'm leaving in 100 days. I'm out of here in 100 days. I have to get all of my shit in order to get out of here in 100 days. And you just get yourself on the the, and you get out Mm. and you make those changes. It's important that people, you know, with Dagan, I try to encourage him often to make changes. I almost want to push him off a cliff sometimes (laughs) because I think that you like build the plane in the air. And I I hate this kind of shit that I say sometimes because I get it from working in Silicon Valley for so long, like the kind of shit people say to you but it's true you do build the plane in the air like you when i left kind of funny i said i announced that i was going to do Collins last stand or what i was what was going to become colin's last stand and it was going to it was going to launch this date whatever date it was which was two weeks from then and i had nothing and i was like well now i'm now i'm in the air man yeah here we die. go you know and uh so i don't know that's a lot of different things i have all these little fucking post-it notes because i i'm out of legal pads
1: Oh <laughs> so, my god, I could give you a ton of those. It's a shame. No, I
0: I just ordered more today. Oh, and I dog. looked and I was on Amazon. I was like, I, might, I feel like I ordered these recently. And it's like, no, you didn't order these since 2020. So I went through, I guess, 12 of them in that time. But wow. so I think that's everything I wanted to, to say. Is I, I think and dude, by the way, just as a postscript, I totally understand because you didn't really linger on this and we didn't really touch on it, but I totally understand what you're saying about social media. And I know I'm a I'm a broken record on this front. But I really just think People should go read only if they can and just not even bother. It's the whole thing of you can't say anything or do anything or be anywhere in some public presence without people trying to tear you down or say something or bother you would have. And it and I think a lot of people don't understand how much that wears on you because they're not the targets of it because it will not happen to them in their natural lives. And often they're the participants in it happening. And actually, I've become very self-aware of this and I've talked about this in the past with athletes where 10, 15 years ago, I'd be like, fuck this guy. Fuck Zach Wilson. I would tweet, fuck Zach Wilson. I would tweet at the Jets. I would tweet it at Zach Wilson. Um, You know, and you just realize it's like, well, I'm that guy. Yeah. And I don't want to become that guy. And then you just realize that it's like war games. The only way you win is not to play, you know? Um, And uh, so I just wanted to say that as a postscript, because I know you said that and I totally feel it. 100 percent. yeah
3: it's 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 really about tuning out now because when you're in that active restoration you know just too much input you go one way or the other too quickly right and um it's played a minor factor in it in the scheme of things it's more like you've you just become numb to it and to me sometimes numbness makes me uncomfortable because it means that like you're deeply wounded and just used to that pain and it's like mm. i you know the- and part of it is adjusting right and like just understanding that people are going to say shitty things um and that's fine uh it's just yeah i i think that plays the smallest factor of it all it's really about selfishly it's about me it's like okay you know what works and i definitely get w- what you're saying about like working extremely hard during your 20s and that's the thing i don't want to take my foot off the gas i guess i want to like not even enter cruise control it's like you know you're taking a detour to now like a, a quicker way to the route you want to get to like i I will say, and I've always been transparent about this, the way my content ended up, like I always wanted it more like what I do on Retro Rebound. it's always what I wanted to do. Like, just let's take some games. Let's talk about them. Let's celebrate. Let's have fun. Let's have good vibes. But more importantly, like, let me take my time. Let me get like a nice set. Let me kind of get creative with it. Um, And Mr. Maddie was almost like this. You know, I I started off just kind of just talking just talking about everything you know just you know and eventually you just learn you can't have an opinion on everything or you shouldn't um and from there it's like well i i guess i i think what happened was when i started making a game and i'm wondering if you feel the same colin uh is this creative bone in my body just kind of got unlocked like i like going the extra mile more even though mr maddie's videos are you know, if you will, easier to produce. Um, yeah, you, know, you can do most of the videos outside of the reviews. You can do most of the videos in like a day. Um, and I don't feel super fulfilled either. It's like, I want to do more and better. And I've talked to other creators about this kind of like where I want to go. And, you know, I'll share those plans eventually when you know, I, fr- I fully firm up what I want to do, but um, a lot of it's about like that kind of self-preservation because I know when I'm at my best is usually when everything is doing its best, like across all the things I'm totally. a part of. Yeah. And, um, you know, I want to make sure I maintain that. Right. So it's, it's, it's scary when you scale down in some manner cause you don't want to pre- create that presentation of like, all right, I'm cozy now. We got enough money. We're doing all right. Like, don't worry. You guys will get me when you get me. Um, I don't want to become the YouTuber who uploads nor would I ever but who uploads like once every month or two months. And I'm just like that. I don't know. Maybe I just have too much of a heart for it, but um, yeah, I that's totally part get of it that, too. It's totally like hard. not communicating to your audience. Like, all right, I'm out of here. It's like, no, still going to be here. Still be doing a lot, but um just figuring out what that's going to look like. Cause at the same time, right. Like one thing I want to do, I'll kind of conclude on this. One thing I really want to do is a movie channel. The main thing I want to do that for, is because every conversation I have with any human being on this planet, hey, have you seen X? No, I haven't. What? And they just like the conversation goes left. Like what? <laughs> you haven't? I, every conversation. It's just like I'm almost tuned out of modern society completely. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't converse with anybody because everyone relates to movies. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, you know, as someone who, again, I, it goes back to the creativity, like, part of the thing that inspires me when I sit down with the pen and paper is the things I have taken in and I'm always taking in games. Right. So I'm like, you know, what am I missing in this movie world? Like you, you, all three of you can name a list of movies. And I guarantee the 95% chance the answer is no, I have not seen that. And so like at the same time, while I'm like thinking about scaling down one area, it's like, I really want to do this. Like, I really want to make like a channel once a week, just sitting down in the chair, just be like, I saw pulp fiction for the first time Woo! like
2: that's all awesome. my thoughts but, Very you know, cool. but
0: is it let me ask you this because i have this instinct too about making like your first and this i think i got a lot of this from greg miller and mm-hmm. i think that the instinct has served us well so i don't think it's a bad instinct but it's something i think we have to get away from which is like everything has to be content like what if yeah, you just watch yep. what if you just watched movies and
3: the thing is i like, know, you, it's, you know it's like, funny what, you say that yeah. because the content will get me to do it Mm-hmm. I know in my heart of hearts, if you sit me down in my house, I look at the clock, it's like 8 p.m. I've got time to do something for four hours. I'm going to go play games. Mm-hmm. Always get every single time. Okay, so sure. if I have content dedicated to it, it's like, well, all right, I'll split it, right? And and so I'll do two-hour movie, two-and-a-half-hour movie, and then I'll go play games for the rest of the night. Because, I right?
0: dude, I've struggled with this because I – I have this fantasy of doing a G.I. Joe channel, like a G.I. Joe mm. YouTube channel, Long Island Viper, where because I was really inspired by this. I mean, it's not they're not great videos. I just really love them. There's just YouTuber and he hasn't put up a video in a while. I hope he's OK. But form BX two five three, I think his name is. And uh, he does these he did these like old school YouTube um, YouTube G.I. Joe unboxing videos and showing all the figures off and doing all these things. And I'm like, this is just a hobby of his. I have no. I, I'm not gonna be like this is the next big thing. It's just like I want to do this thing with like the highest production, almost ridic- ridiculous production value, <laughs> with like comic book footage. You know, footage from the cartoons and comic book Oof. scans, Oof. and Oof. like this is the character and this is. And I I fantasize about it, and then I'm like I'm just in my own opinion. I can't speak for you. You're younger than me, so I think that that plays into it. Is like I am creatively tapped out at this point, mm. like in a lot of different ways. Like I am really tired. I it sucks dude we have a great game in development at lilimo a role-playing game designed by well the story and the characters and everything by me and i had to just let it go and have someone else really write it because it's like i don't i can't do all i can't do everything and i was saying this in a meeting with ben and dustin earlier today about our live shows next year and other stuff and i was like i really can't believe i found myself in this position I, i'm grateful for this but i didn't want to do this is you're almost afraid of saying like oh you don't want it okay and fucking <laughs> get
2: that, and just, that's not what i'm saying at all what
0: i'm saying is that i didn't i'm not an mba yeah. i have no idea what the fuck i'm doing i've learned everything about business by just doing it and yeah. you get more natural at it and figure out how to manage it and the business is more old now and i was also at advantage of owning co-owning a company before so that that helped me as well but I am so administratively wrapped up in shit all the time and just random things that I'm like, I don't want to do anything. And it sucks. Yeah. You know, it, it sucks because good. I would love to do nothing more than create things and do that YouTube channel and have fun. And really, but at the end of the day, it's I have to do a podcast and then I'm writing the show notes and then I have like these three emails and then I have to write this ad and then I have this random meeting with someone and I have to pay it this person's stops. invoice and I have to do it. And it's like, fuck me.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I stuff. see yep. the main reason I say creating is because I I find it very therapeutic, like whenever I sit down to write, um, you know, I, I said this in the in the DD q and A I I just did. I was talking about like my writing process a bit. And I said part of the reason I'm very excited for people to, to play the game when it comes out is um, all of the characters are like a piece of me, like, you know, and and I like I tap into particular moods and aspects of I guess my personality for them and so like i find that very healing to kind of almost i mean in, in a sense it's kind of scary Like i'm putting myself out there in this way but it's within this character that's much more complex and fantastical and so like you're not really gonna fully see it but like there's a piece of me in each of those characters and i find getting that out is rest- is more restorative than like a takeaway but the thing i have that's my problem colin is it's almost like always at the ass end of the day like i had the same thing you know from here my parents are coming over after this and then afterwards i have to record something and maybe at like 11 p.m at night i might write for an hour right and so uh it kind of i guess taps into to one of your topics about like well i have to play games too because i got to make sure i review stuff or i'm on top of stuff for for commentary and, and whatnot so um i totally hear you that like you know the the i put it in quotes burdens of owning or running multiple things grows in this way you want it to it's like nice we got like ads and you know money and and we have uh, all these things we can make and at the same time it's like okay well there's this thing I want to create too that I want to put a lot of my time toward and when you start to get tapped out on one avenue I've noticed sometimes when I sit down to write like if like I'm not if I'm pretty tapped out if you will like I don't write as good as well as I typically do. Like I don't write as inspired. Like I, you know, and it, I got good advice and I'm sure Colin, you can attest to this as someone who's written at IGN for years is like 95% of your writing is just rewriting. And I was like, that's so true. Like I'll write a draft. And I'm like, this sucks. Go back a second time. It's way better. You think it's good. You move on deeper into the script. You come back a third time. You're like, you fix it again. And you're like, now it's good. Then you do an editing pass with someone. And that fourth time it's like, now it's ironclad, Right. So you always recognize like it's not going to be the best, so you're kind of comfortable with it not being great at first, and so yeah, it just when you're tapped down on top of that, you sometimes get a little too comfortable with it, and uh, and so yeah, that's why I I find it it's this kind of healing thing for me where I try to make time for it, but it's tough too.
0: Yeah, I think like what you describe is interesting because I think I I excelled at writing strategy guides specifically because I'm a very compartmentalized thinker, mm-hmm. and when I can focus in on one thing, I can really dissect it and get really into it. The unfortunate reality is that I can't really sit with anything like that anymore, um, with rare exception. Like to the point where in my the audience the sacred audience knows this. Like we I hadn't played Alan Wake 2 yet, really, because I had to get Spider-Man 2 purged out of my body on the, the podcast so I can move on and like yeah. get to the next yeah. thing so I can treat it with the best care that I can. And it's a kind of a bummer because I was a prodigious writer at one point, but I the, my writing It's interesting, I always joked around in this common writing joke of like most of my time, writers don't almost ever write, right? And that was, I was very much that writer Mm. where it's like, no, most of my time I don't write. Sometimes I write and I would review a game at IGN and I'd just take notes as I would go. And then I would just sit at my computer and write it in a half an hour, you know, and that would be, that would be like what it was. And I think that that's, I'm a very bursty writer like that. And unfortunately I use those energies in writing six seven eight pages of show notes for sacred symbols three mm. four five six ads a week like wow. a ton of different emails and correspondence yeah. like i just don't have it in me i i i'm not i'm not stephen king where it's like i write from fucking eight to five and shit that's, <laughs> that, stephen that's, King's that's not
1: stephen king he can't be doing <laughs> all that by himself i don't buy it yeah you <laughs> think he has a ghostwriter <laughs> or whatever
0: that's entirely possible i to me it's so i we that's the beauty of this of this craft is that we all kind of approach it differently, too, and have different sure. pieces of it in us. I remember like really having to store my mana before everything like E3 or game when I would go to Gamescom or Tokyo Game Show It's where like you're going to be required to write so much more than you want to. For sure, because some mm-hmm. of the people are very happy warriors, you know, and I'm like, no, I mean, I got to go get drunk now or like get more inspiration to write like write again and have like some energy and so mm-hmm. I'd have to prepare for those situations. But um, nonetheless, Maddie, I, I encourage you to uh, to embrace the change and yeah. use because it's not about you were saying like about the increasing comfort and making more money. And and like the idea, the way I look at it, Matt, you know, like those old school, like horse racing things on the board, like that would be at like a fair and they would go across. Yeah, and, like
2: the amusement park. There, yeah, right. Oh,
0: okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, The way I look at it is like our our window as a collective at last stand is open for, I don't know, an unknown amount of time. And my only hope is that we as those little horses get as far to the right as possible and as secure as possible. See, when you bought your house, for instance, I felt like that was a big milestone for us as a company because it's like one of us is good now with that. Like now they're kind of they got their roots down. Okay, cool. We don't have to worry about that. Like now that the window closes, it's like, well, that's one less thing we really need to consider. And that's kind of the way I look at all of our collective things. That's why I'm pushing Chris into or have been pushing Chris, like leave California and like buy land and go back to New York and do all those kinds of things. And because I care about everyone from that respect, too, because I realize where we are along that trail as those little horses on that board will determine the choices we make as we are forced to make changes in the future. And you're in a position now where I feel like you're far along to the right, as it were, where you can embrace the fact that you don't have to make the same choices And if people have a problem with that, then they don't really know or like you or understand you as a creator. And I would say that about almost everyone, because that level of expectation is like enslaving someone, basically the idea that you can't change or that things have to stay the same. I'm sure people that would upset people, but those things have to happen at some point. So 100 percent. I just
3: think it would be for the better, right? Not just for me, but I think for what I do, I'm excited about it at the end of the day. I'm very excited to take this more scary, but like a more in my eyes, I mean, I, I, I think I down my own content a little too much, but like, I, cause I think many people enjoy tons of people enjoy what I do. Um, but just, you know, that more quality orientated approach, I think will be appreciated by everybody and kind of target the right people who I want to reach at the end of the day too. So yeah, I appreciate you all sharing your stories. It's definitely been uplifting.
0: Good. That's what the show is always is known for as being uplifting. So that's very good. <laughs> all right. I'm going to uh, go next because I feel like this is kind of there's some sort of yeah, there's some sort of a synergy here between these two topics. I wanted to talk about getting away from video games just mm-hmm. temporarily. This came up because in my mind, I was I was writing my notes because um, Chris a few weeks ago on Sacred Symbols. So people bust Chris's balls a lot for playing games and kind of not sticking with them and moving on or whatever. I've always argued that, oh, you're the same way, Cog. <laughs> I, I, Squirrel. I, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Game Pass probably really makes it oh, horrifying. Oh. I can yes. totally understand that. That would paralyze me, actually. It's, it's a blessing that, again, I wouldn't even have PlayStation Plus Essential if not for cloud saving because I don't, I don't, I don't, I need to delve in and, and do all of that. But people, and I've always said that Chris, because I've, I've known Chris, and I knew Chris in person first before we went remote, and we used to do the show in person, and we used to play games together and all of that. And like, the reason I wanted to do the show with Chris was not because he played games like, and he's like, I'm going to fucking 100% this game. It's because he had this really unusual and uncanny understanding of video games. Like you could just hand him a video game and he knew how to play it. And I've used the example before of the the famous Titanfall two achievement or trophy that has you do that test in a certain amount of time. That was the only thing that was keeping me from that trophy for that platinum for years. And we did a video about it and he did it in like two seconds after having not played the game in years. And I was really tuned into that sort of thing with him that we did the same thing with Mega Man. He had never played a Mega Man game before. And I gave him Mega Man, I want to say Mega Man 1, and he, he was, was fine. fine. I was like, this IGN. is very weird. Like, I don't... And that was That's what was so, tough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that was what was so, so attractive to me about him. I'm like, he understands games in this very unusual mechanical way. It actually reminds me a lot of my friend Vincent Genito who understands and writes about games from a very... That, that same perspective. He We hired him at IGN after he did this beautiful soliloquy in a conference room about Call of Duty and the mechanics and all that. I was like, this is... This is, awesome. this is exactly what we need at IGN. But... So I say all that because... Chris brought up, I take Chris seriously with like a lot of these random things that he comes out with because he has an unusual outlook on things and like, it's different. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the games we were going to play over the holidays. And he said something that I was like, oh, that's interesting. He's like, what if you just don't play any games at all? And I didn't know what to do with that because (laughs) it's been many years since I've not played any games at all now i've told period i've told the story about how there was about a year in college where i didn't play games really and i and i say that there are caveats in that because there were that was the it was my sophomore year in college it was 2004 into 2005 or that might have been my middler year actually and that was the year that grand theft auto san andreas resident evil 4 and something else came out and i played those games as they came out but other than that i was kind of just tapped out i had a girlfriend and i was busy i was Um, an intern at the Massachusetts Historical Society. I didn't think I was going to be doing this for a living. I was an an intern um, at one time at IGN and by this point was freelancing for them regularly, but I just didn't think that that was going to happen for me. I was on this other trajectory, and that was the last time, so almost 20 years ago, that I took any prolonged period away from games. And I don't think I'm going to take a break from games anytime soon. I don't really feel the need, but we often get people writing in about the show and you guys probably do too on Duke about like, I don't, I'm kind of not into it anymore or I'm like just kind of, Oh, yeah. You know, and I am interested in what you guys how you guys feel about that, like about the idea of doing the Aaron Rodgers, like get away, just removing yourself completely from all things, including video games. And if you're able to kind of walk away from video games for a while and what you think would be the longest you would even walk away from them casually today, because I can go a few days maybe without playing. I can go as long as I need to go, but I don't go very long because i'm always just interested in d- dicking around with something there's always something um so anyway i wanted to put that out there maddie let's uh go to you first on this i'm curious sure uh, how are you able to get away from games if you do it all and do you think that you will in the future
3: i think about it a lot um i think i actually proposed the idea one week on duke and i was definitely think i was just feeling weak at the time because i think I'd, I'd gone through a number of reviews in a row and i was tired i think I, I said to cog on the show i was like yeah i don't know i think i might just like come this holiday, actually take some time away from games. I don't know. Yeah, you I, said that you, like just to, to, I think when you're, it, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Right. So when you're away, come back. It's like, wow, I missed this so much. This is great. And like, you'd be surprised what even like a week or two can do. Right. Um, I think the reality is like deep down, I just don't want to, like, I, uh, like once I set up a new goal, like one of my very ambitious goals is to play Yakuza three through six before, um the uh the new one comes out in the end of january i believe it is yeah that's it like, that is ambitious extremely right but uh but they're like you know games that at least i know three and four i'm probably gonna end up just mainlining so i know that's not gonna be super long um but I, i'm like well perfect time to do that would be when we're off for like three weeks uh that's a that's a great time to just kick my feet up and and game and uh be lazy but at the same time um I, you know, it's funny. I started thinking about it because I, one of the gaming, few gaming YouTubers I watch is uh, my man, Jake Baldino, awesome dude. And uh, he, I remember at the top of this year, he talked about when he came back, I don't know what video it was, but he just mentioned like he was just like a, like lived life like a normal dude. Like he just didn't play games or anything like that. And it really resonated with me in the sense I was like, huh, I think the longest I've gone, and I remember this because otherwise, I don't think I've ever gone more than a couple of days. The longest I've gone is uh, I had midterms in eighth grade, and my parents were like, "No video games for the week." And so, actually, and technically, I cheated because I played We Fit because I just wanted to play games. <laughs> <laughs> like that—that's—that was my workaround. That they allowed that because it was exercise. But otherwise, I didn't really play any games that week at all. And I, you know, I, I missed it. Like, I mean, I love games. I love seeing people's creations come to life so i don't really desire to get away from it but i think at times it would be kind of healthy um because as a reviewer we definitely play games at a more rapid pace than your average consumer and i think it always has to be considered that when you're making uh your review you have to understand like okay like certain parts didn't resonate with me as strongly but i'm playing this in a Oh, two week, maybe a week window versus the average consumer. It may span. This may stretch a month. And so they get to get things a little more organically, go smell the roses, come on back to the storyline and so on and so forth. Right. They take it at their own pace a little bit better. Um, And I think to reconnect with some of that normalcy, if you will, you kind of got to get away. And if you will not, I'm not creating levels when I say this, but live life in those shoes. You know, we as creators, game totally differently. Um, and so I think sometimes getting away would be healthy. Uh, because when you're taking in so much more than anyone should be, you wonder if you grow numb to certain things. I think it to me some will argue that. I think it refines you. It means that when you're playing something that's special and it sticks out to you, it's like I've taken in like four fucking games this month, all brand new, and like this one, like Lies of P, for example, in a in the heat of Starfield and Think KD3 was coming out and, and, and all these October games, you're just drowning in them. And then there's this one Souls-like game after Elden Ring, mind you, that I'm thinking like, okay, I like Bloodborne. Like, I'm sure I'll dig this. And it ends up right now being my game of the year. And it's like, that's why I end up sticking with it. Because at the end of the day, it's like, no, I'm not burnt out. Just I think some games aren't that good. And I'm quick to blame myself before the creative because I take in so much. But then you play something as inspired in my eyes as Liza P. And I'm like, no, like this is why I do it. And this is why I don't walk away because I know these types of experiences are out there. They just need to be good enough. Um, so I don't know. I, eventually, it's like, why would I do it at all? Why would I go away at all? I like being tapped in. I like adding to my backlog or, or, or knocking things off my backlog, I should say. No one wants to add to it. Um, I like finding a new series and going like, oh, this is like, I, I you know, to me, I think Part of that excitement was re- re- restored with uh, Retro Rebound because people are sharing stories about games they've played and, and you find new series that you you never knew existed. Like I have this one game on PS2 that I found. And it doesn't look incredible. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever play, but I have it in my collection because I saw it at a local game shop and it's called like Orphan um, and it's an Activision published JRPG. And I'm like, Activision and JRPG? Like you just never put these two together. Um, and I'm like, this is cool. Like I just love that this is out there. And this might be fun just to fire up for a couple hours, and and um and so I I found myself kind of appreciating that like there's so many secrets in this games industry. I w- I was watching a Scott the Waz video last night before bed, and like he was he made a whole video about candy based games, and he played like every M M&M and M video game. Did he play <laughs> a boy in his blob? video game? Like I was just like, there's so much here to take in. It's so fun, Maddie. Um, Maddie, did he
0: play a boy in his blob?
3: no
1: i never oh, heard of that one what was that, that one is an essential a, candy
3: i was
0: just curious it's a, you feed like jelly beans to this blob and it turns into different things it's an it's a david <laughs> Crane game.
3: No, he was like playing like yeah, branded candy games so like oh, m&m's m&m's have an absurd amount of video games i learned to that video wow. an absurd amount know. they have car racers. Know, racers 3d
0: platformers like tons what? of m&m video wow. games who's and like yeah, go, he, who's going into the store being like i'm gonna buy this sh- i love m&m <laughs> And I'm gonna That's buy this shit. That's what he was saying. And and and, and all of them were
3: just knockoffs of like Crash Bandicoot. Like you could just point to the series <laughs> that they tried to one-to-one, but in a shittier way. Uh, and so I don't know. I just love that <laughs> act of discovery. That kind of keeps me going. Or I love the journey, okay. right? Like I did a whole journey last year through the entirety of the trail series. And I love that. Like that was like I think of that more than any game really. I came out last year. And now I'm kind of embarking on that with Yakuza. Like I'm on this journey, and I can kind of accelerate that journey because I'll have some time off while I'm going on it um which is tantalizing so i don't know i think part of it's like setting up goals like i think if you're just doing it casually you know not you're not doing it wrong but like it's easy to fall out of love with it it's like just a little hobby and we talked about evolution earlier like you evolve how you approach it And, and for me it's like in the ways i work with it um i try to be careful with what games i cover because colin you tapped into something earlier about like pretty much economizing maybe that's not the right word uh commercializing every part of your life you know it's like okay movies and games and all it just becomes an instinct you know exactly and so you know certain games i just keep to me and that's it like i just make the deliberate choice to keep to me um so i'm going on and on but yeah i i think about it a lot i think at some point it may be worthwhile and i might do it on my break for like a week but i think i go into extremes like feast or famine like i need a month off because i played so much it's like i'm sure if i gave it three days i'd be like damn i'm doing great like this is awesome um like i, I went away to a spa about a month ago for a weekend and i i, I mean i played like 40 minutes of lies of P on my raw Ally, but like <laughs> otherwise i was just chilling in tubs the whole time and just hanging out and just relaxing and i came back and i was just i felt really good so Um, I think I under, I I think I underestimate how much time can be restorative to us all. So, um, yeah, that's where I stand on it.
2: Where are you on this cog? I'm curious how you balance it. It's difficult (laughs) because, um, you know, I'm always connected. I'm always connected. And, um, games from very young have been a borderline addiction. I've gotten in so much trouble, you know, um, yeah, I remember, like, Maddie's bringing up the story about the, you know, you got in trouble, like, you know, you can't play games this week. I remember when my grades were at, like, a Dagan moment in junior high, and my grades were suffering. And my my um home teacher told my mom, like, look, he's talented, he's smart, but all he's doing is bringing in these damn Genesis cartridges, and, and he gets the kids around him and they're all talking and they're not paying attention mm. to what's going on and his grades are suffering. And we know he's smarter than this. And I had the talk, the, top, the uh, lashing uh, down, talking acting. to, <laughs> <which> is, <laughs> right? I heard
3: this so much. Bro,
2: I was notorious. Like I, I, I would be, I was a good student, but I was kind of like a person that I would coast, but come test day, then i, I, I grind I'm like mm-hmm. this is important i'm mm-hmm. grind and i'll knock it out and they would be like well why You're don't you okay just do it?" with and c's cog <laughs> bro all oh, bees and c's was, <laughs> report card like the speed limit 65 65 because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm coasted you know what i'm saying and it's just like sure. they could see oh he's so much smarter but what it is and i just didn't want to stop mm. so you got that aspect and then you know as you get to the point where you get your income and it's like, I don't got to rely on mom and I can do things my own. I'm going to buy the games I wanted. Oh, to. Yeah. I bought Shinobi the arcade from an arcade distributor. I had it shipped down my block and they dropped it off in mm. on, a, on a crate. It was like, you know, good luck. And I'm like, wait a minute, you got to move it inside of the house. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you got to get, you got to get a mover <laughs> to get that in your house. I had that. I had rolling thunder. I built, Jammer boards. I took jammer boards from all my favorite arcades, fast. all this stuff. I was going to cut, like, the addiction is just too much. Like, so, and I love it. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm a person that if I go away from it, the, the best I can do is what I realized. This is my little happy place. And this is my best friend, Paul, who happens to be a Jet fan like Colin. And he basically says, you know, the only thing that would keep me away from games was sports. That was the only thing Cause it's like, okay, the big game, whether it be, you know, we'll talk about my next topic too, like whether well, the golden era of, um, you know, NBA or when, but NFL was always number one. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, here, here comes the Sunday game. Here's past summer raw. Here's his Madden with the voices. and the, the, it, I just love that. And then I got a little bit more into fantasy and I was like, okay, what's fantasy football. Okay. This is kind of cool. And we pick up players. And so that became my own little game that wasn't gaming but how I got a way to get a little bit of break is the best thing Paul said is like, bro, I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to the city. Yo, I got because he works in um like sports retail and buying for the teams and stuff like that. So it's like, bro, sometimes I can get a suite in New England. You want to watch the Patriots from this from the box? Hell yeah. <laughs> we're, 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 let's go. I'm, dry, you know I'm like, I was that. Guy. hey. I'm in Connecticut you're from Connecticut. You never been to the Whalers, yo, Harford Whalers are playing. I don't care. I don't, you know, I'ma learn about you know live hockey. Go to a Rangers yeah. game. Like, so my what became my new thing was sports pilgrimages. Mm. Go to a city you've never been to before. Go to the stadium. Love right? It. Love it. I love that. You know, and, and like for for um i did pittsburgh i did um pnc park for the mets watch that watch a game there you know so i got those are my little things so my, what i try to do is we pick weekends where it's like okay whether it's quarterly or maybe something else probably like two times a year like i was supposed to go to cleveland but i got sick because we, we had the whole thing I was going to do brown and i was going to do the hall of fame oh cool bro like i was ready you know what i'm saying so it's like that's what I do. So sports pilgrimages that stuff and then while I'm there get a little bit of the culture of the city cuz I remember when I did uh Pittsburgh which was fun I heard of this. They had this thing called pra, Pravanti Pramanti Brothers. Where oh, they they the, like,
0: yeah, that's like the, the the fries on the on the. Yeah, push. yeah. yeah. I was like, what is this? I was yeah. like, this is amazing. Yeah, I'm to fr- be able to talk
2: about that more. Yeah. It's a, yeah, It's a Berg thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, all right, Pittsburgh. This is cool. And yeah, I try really to just it. get a little culture of the city. Like I would go to when I went to chi Town. You know, I'd it'd be a, a New York versus Chicago slice thing. Yeah. All right. You know, oh, this deep dish. I, this, yeah. All right. Let's see what this is about. That White kind knife. of thing. I, right, yeah, it's lasagna so as yeah. right. that is It's good. But, it's man, good, but I'll it ain't pizza. pizza. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey. So that was that. And the last thing I'll say is, I um, badly can relate to this as far as, um, you know, gaming and stuff with getting away. What also keeps me in it where I don't get resentful is we all content creators. We all have to do things, right? Yo, we got to review this. The new big game. Mm. You no know, four is out. This one's out. But I noticed for me, what works for me that keeps my passion is play what I want to play versus what I have to play all the time. Yeah. because sometimes we do have those comfort food games whether it's whatever it is mindless for me it's always going to be probably like destiny tekken xcom halo maybe one or two others those are the games that i don't care what's going on like these give me peace I'm, like, oh, I'm in my happy place the gunplay feels so good like me and chris really vibe with bungie a lot because i know why he it resonates. Like. It, Regardless of the foolishness they do sometimes, like it, it just my happy place. So I think that's what keeps me make me solid and sane. But um, yeah, just sometimes you do get away, but I, I don't get away too long. That that's pretty much it. But I do the sports things to kind of to try to provide balance.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, yeah, because I love sports too, and and we've we've lamented this in, on the show in the past that I find. I find the sports ball shit so obnoxious in in a lot of corners of video games. And I'm always curious and and confused why there's not much more of a crossover between the two worlds because I find them to be incredibly similar. And I'm not just talking about playing sports games like Madden or FIFA or whatever, but, but just generally speaking, I think there's just a lot of crossover that I don't think either side appreciates about the other side fully to the extent that they should dig. Where are you on this topic? I'm curious because you've kind of, Come back into playing games as a major part of your life. I think over the last, well, not over the last few years, really since we started knockback back in 2018, I guess. Yeah. But you've always yeah. played, um, and you're the reason that I got in the video games. So I'm curious about your kind of management, your time management with them, and how you might get away from them.
1: Yeah, man, it's been a long winding road, hasn't it? I mean, as long as we've known each other, yes, you and I, indeed. over for almost 40 years, we've known each other as gamers. And, you know, I love video games, but I've missed entire console generations, you know? So it's been a sort of roller coaster over the course of my life so far with me and video games. The first thing I thought about when you sent the topic, was a very specific video game era for me. It's a little period of time I like to call high school where I literally just played games until late, late, Every single night instead of doing homework or studying, ever. Like that's all I did with my evenings in high school. And I think there's a few reasons for that. I mean, in all fairness, I probably would have found anything to not do my schoolwork, but I already loved video games. I guess early in high school for me, because I'm an old man, it was NES. And then in 91, The second half of high school became Super Nintendo. And then, of course, my best friend's house. It was, he was the Sega kid. So it was the Genesis and the Sega CD. But I was so, it was such an era looking back of like just hedonistic irresponsibility, (laughs) immaturity. And it stands out, I think, because it was really the last time in my life where I played games to that degree. And I think. Part of this, if I really dig deep and like lay on the psychiatrist couch, mom and dad weren't too strict of parents. They didn't have a lot of rules growing up. Like for instance, for whatever reason, like there were never any rules with TV. It was just like, watch TV. They expect us to go outside and play. And we did, but there was never a hard, fast rule of only two hours of TV a day, like type of thing. But when the Atari 2600 came out, I remember they let me have it in my bedroom but they were like, it's an hour a day. That's it. And they paid attention to it like they did with very few other things. So I think as soon as I got a little older, let's say the NES came out when I was 13, 14, 15, whatever I was, and they loosened their grip. And I saw that they weren't paying as much attention. Then I jumped right in. Like I wanted to dating back Years, it was like, oh, I finally get to do this all the time. That's all I'm going to do. Yep. And it, it didn't matter if I owned the game, if we borrowed the game, a rental game. I would. That's. I remember sitting there at night, you know, in tenth grade, two in the morning. It was a school Facts. night. Test the next day. Homework to do. Session. I didn't care. Yep. I remember feeling a little guilty, but never guilty enough to not do it. Break
2: morning because you're going to keep going. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, you're going to get two hours of sleep, but you you go okay, Continue. You, you <laughs> no, creature, it's man. true. It's true, Cog. And I remember the bus, because our sure. bus
1: pulled up right outside our house. And I remember, you know, go- I just, I had been sleeping for like an hour and a half. There was no way I was getting up. So it was like, you know, being tardy and missing days of school. If I was in school, I never had my homework done. And again, it was it was feeling of a little bit of embarrassment, lamenting that, but it didn't matter. Like it, what it never stopped me. I mean, if I <laughs> could have graduated with a Regent's diploma and NES, I would have fucking been valedictorian. Regents. No, this know?
2: man did not say a
1: Regent's <laughs> a in NES. Yo, he took it back, Regents. <laughs> I would have graduated on top of the class for sure. And you know, it was. And I think when I went to art school and started hitting the books. Well, it wasn't really the books for me. I was hitting the drafting table and hitting the animation stand and the computer and everything. And having realized I never really worked up to my potential in high school, when I hit college, there was this thing of, I'm going to be the best here. And then video games kind of fell by the wayside. It was a thing that I was paying attention to remotely. I remember things like Final Fantasy VII coming out and stuff where we had to be involved. And you know that was really deep in the arcade period too, and going to school downtown and having access to arcades and especially the fighting games. But other than that, there was a real kind of laissez-faire attitude of video games for the first time that also kind of extended into my career. It was like, you know, your one track mind of getting a good job and the tenacity with working in animation and video games kind of took a backseat. But it was that high school period that really spoke to my soul because I always loved video games. It was just time. I guess it was, was, you know, colors of growing up and different things too. I guess that, that played a big part in it. But now I'll tell you what, in 2023, I think it's the best it's ever been for me. I'm very fortunate because although it's been a slower year for, for work, for animation with LSM, and, you know, because of Colin's good graces, I'm able to do more stuff. You know, I'm able to pick up episodes of Sacred Symbol Plus and play a game. We did Resident Evil 4 remake earlier this year and Dead Space uh, remaster. And we, Colin, and I got to play Miles Morales and Spidey leading up to Spider Man 2. I got to play Alan Wake this year for the show. So, and then of course, Punching Up was launched this year. So we're able to do all the Nintendo stuff. So I'm in this real sweet spot where, it's pretty awesome. You know, I get paid a little money to talk about the games. It's not my entire, entire livelihood. It's not like you guys where I have that pressure because that's what you guys do. So you need to be up to the minute. I have a little bit more autonomy with it. So it really is this real sweet spot where games are really for pleasure and leisure and unwinding and escape and something i look forward to at the end of the day and a lot of times it it does play into being responsible and writing notes and having to do talk about things for the podcast and that's but it's just at the level where it's a pleasure you know what i mean like i'm not sure how it would go if it went if it became less or it became more of a workload or more of a more of a cross to bear it might change but right now it's really just at this sweet spot for me where I really just enjoy gaming and I'm able to kind of dip my toe into something I'm interested in. Work got really busy over the last week. So I had to tell Kyle, you know, I can't do the Alan Wake 2. I'm playing, but I'm not going to be done. And, you know, so it's that relationship of not, there's no pressure, but I can enjoy it when I want to. And I get, and it's also doing the shows and doing the podcast and being part of Last Stand is nice for me too, because it holds my feet to the fire of playing the new games you know what I mean? And also how much, yes, I'm, I'm like a re I'm steeped in old school gaming. I'm I'm a big retro gamer. I collect all of that. And for the Japanese consoles as well. So it gets deep, but it made me really realize over the course of the last five or six years, how much I love modern games. I mean, they're so wonderful. It's, I mean, I have a great time to a game. I don't think we played a game that we didn't, that we The game
0: love. that I was probably most dubious of that we've played on Knockback is honestly Earthbound. Probably mm. was the game that I probably liked the least. And that was fine. I just couldn't believe... I was just like, oh, that's fine. Yeah. yeah.
1: But that's <laughs> one of the ones like you have to... I feel like that's a bona fide, right? Like as a as a gamer, you have to have that checked off the list. You have to have played Earth. Yeah, that's why we did H- the
0: play. Halo trilogy and did all these other things. So yeah, there's a lot of Halo,
1: the all the Uncharted games, and that's right. it's so many. The Bioshock. Game. I mean, so many things that you know. Now, I think it's it's good for me too because I have. I think it gives you a certain amount of credentials to talk about gaming overall. You know what I mean? If you haven't played these essential things. How can you really be up to speed with a conversation type of thing? So for me, it's really 2023, although it's been sort of, it's been a pain in the ass when it comes to some things. It's been really, there's been a lot of positives when it comes to that, where I feel like I'm at this point in gaming where it's not this thing where it's an addiction or I'm just playing 14, 15 hours at a time and not feeding the kids and just ignoring the family and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm not so deep in it where it's a job where it feels like a job, even though it kind of is a job, it doesn't feel like that. So I'm at this level and I just feel like it's perfect right now. It's just really great. And it also kind of, it's a respite from the stresses of my day job, you know? So it's, um, I'm grateful for that.
0: Yeah, that's well said. I, it's funny the, in my own career, the parts of the, of the, things i was asked to do that felt most like work were the things obviously that i liked the least and i always looked at that sort of thing as like preview events preview games interviews things that can be fun or whatever i hated previewing games i hated it hated it oh i hated it so much but reviewing games i loved reviewing games because you get the final product and then you could kind of like sound off on it in a a more authoritative way but that's the thing i struggle with as as i guess we close this topic it was good to hear from everyone i guess the, the thing i struggle with is the thing, my advantage, or one of my advantages, and I think we can all feel this probably in our own way, and I'm, I think Dagan and Cog, as being older than me, would feel it even more. Or maybe Maddie a little less, but is there are so many games, there's such a volume of games that you can't really know any generation of video games without really having been there. It's not like catching up on the discography of a handful of bands or. Which can, which each take you know forty five fifty sixty minutes an album or seeing the ten best movies of a year and kind of having a grasp on it. It's very difficult to know if you're younger than me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take your PlayStation knowledge seriously from that authoritative place if that's the way you present it to me if you weren't really there because you and so I want to take advantage of that in the moment in some sense. And make sure to stay in that space, because I know that the second or I feel that the second that I let go of that and stop playing for a prolonged period of time, you're setting yourself back and then you're you're missing things. It's it's what I've said earlier about the, the volume of games becoming so high over time, especially early in my career, where I just was like, I can't I'm not even going to bother with shit anymore. Like I can't play the sports games anymore. I can't. I'm not doing Assassin's Creed anymore. Like I can't. There's just certain things you have to cut out. Mm -hmm. And I think if you walk away, then you start losing that authority, which goes the same way. If you're here in the moment, it's the easiest way to learn it, know it and put it away so you can draw from it later. And I think that's one of my major advantages. People look at me almost like an encyclopedia of PlayStation. And I'm like, that doesn't come from study. That just that just was by happenstance. I was there and I cared. And that's the way I look at things. I'm a chronologist. Like, I love that kind of shit. But I think that if I stop or walk away, then I'm going to start introducing gaps or setting myself aside and setting myself apart and losing that advantage. And unfortunately, there's probably some reality to that. Whether or not it matters or not to the content at the end of the day, I don't know. But that's that's one thing I'm concerned about because I'm always missing something. This year was especially strenuous and I'm only really playing on one console. So I can only imagine people that truly try to be agnostic. I think that that's like a fool's errand in some way, but I appreciate that. And I think that's cool if like you... I remember the first generation I had money like to spend, which was the PS2 generation PS2 well, it was Dreamcast PS2 GameCube Xbox where I just buy so many games and I didn't play half of them. You mm-hmm. know, I just like I wanted access to them and and all of the rest. And now that we have time to kind of sit with games more, there's just more games than ever. And it's, it's impossible to keep up with. So that's just kind of my one parting shot at the topic is the one thing I'm afraid of is. Seeding that ground because that's one advantage. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, um, and that comes with that's not work, but it kind of is, I guess. It's uh, yeah. consistency anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I also think that, and I've really been cognizant of this the last couple of years, especially, is that games have subsumed basically all entertainment avenues in my life outside of sports. Still watch football, still watch hockey, whatever. But other than that, I'm not watching TV shows. I'm really not. I'm not watching movies at all. I read a book occasionally, you know, but. So I maybe that kind of like monocultural approach is not good, too. Like I got to I don't know what's going on with TV or movies like there's just so many things I haven't seen and I'm sure a lot of it's great. So I got to kind of be open minded to that, too. But anyway, it was good to hear from you guys on this. Thank you for. Hearing me on getting away from gaming. Let's move on to the third topic here. Let's go over to you for your topic this week.
2: Yeah, man. I was kind of being reflective. So I wanted to kind of talk golden eras. You know, I thought, I feel like as an older gentleman, <laughs> you know, we we, we kind of, I look at Mr. Maddie Place I'm like, he don't know. He don't know about the time, you know, when, when, when music or games was this way. And so I just, you know, you guys can take it however you want to take it. For me, um, you know, I distinctly, there's probably about three different Things I wanted to tackle. One was kind of like, as a kid, first was like I've considered like the golden era of being a kid. It was like cartoons, and and I, I kind of miss that. I I I feel like the way kids consume things are very differently now. You know what I mean? And obviously we're in the YouTube era, social media, the TikTok, and I get like that. But it, there was like a thing where. It was like the after school special, the after school cartoon. You come home, you watch. And then obviously the Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that. Obviously, I'm wearing an appropriate shirt. I was a huge Transformers kid. You know, Um, you know, I would rush home to see what's the latest, you know, hear Peter Cullen's voice and Optimus Prime and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, Colin, me, you really resonate with GI Joe's, that was a huge thing for me, you know? Oh yeah. Um, and, And, and then even to see the, the popularity of these things that, that cross into pop culture, you have the fiction, the action figures, the toys. That was a big thing for me, you know, um, it's funny, like playing with other kids in the neighborhood, you know, I should have been like someone that could come up with narrative story. I would come up with my own episodes with other kids and we would play with the figures. And and it was, it was hilarious. Like we would do this for hours upon hours. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, you got quick kick. I got storm shadow. Okay. Now, all right. My skateboard, this is Cobra's base. (laughs) (laughs) Like I would create these scenarios. I was director of my own show and people love playing toys and games with me. So I'd get all, one of my best friends, his name is Eric. You know, he moved on to our block. And um, I was just amazed by him because I he had like um a star scream. I've never seen Starscream before. And I was like, he's cool, bring him in here in the backyard with the rest of the kids. And we <laughs> I recruited him based on his toy collection. And that's the basis of our friendship. And we've been friends to this day. So, you know, I think about toys. Um, music was a big thing, you know, golden eras for music for me was probably like late 80s, 90s hip hop. You know, I, I came from the Rick B and Rakim, the the, the LL Cool Jays, the Big Daddy Canes, and I remember the quality of the lyrics. You know, I, I remember hearing Run-DMC and all them before, and it was like, yes, yes, y'all, to the beat, y'all, all that stuff. But then these guys were like poets. They were like telling stories, and, you know, then that birth, kind of like the Jay-Zs, the Nas, the Biggies, the Tupacs, and all that other stuff. So it was just – it was it was an era also that I vi- vividly remember of – um. Going what we used to call the, the mixtape, the era of the mixtape and, and, and going to some like little shady spot, you know, you know, maybe, you know, a little Bob and pop situation where the DJ would drop off, I guess, all this music that's unreleased, that's never heard before, that sometimes would make albums, but you'd get it first you'd get like this exclusive thing and you're like, yo, and some of it would never come out. But if you followed the artist, you'd be like, yo, this is some of his best work and no one knows about this, but you had this CD with the little, you know, print art and stuff like that. So music, you know, that was one of my golden eras a mixtape era and all that stuff. And then for gaming, the third one was probably I was going to talk about, which is I was looking at, obviously I'm a Sega kid, and I was trying to look at all my different eras objectively. You know, which ones were kind of the best for me. And obviously you got your start with the arcade, but I think for me, I have to be honest, I was like, it's probably Xbox 360. And 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 the reason being, because I had I had Peter Moore on and I realized what 360 did for me as a gamer in the sense of I bought an HD TV, I I saw like what? 720p and 1080i was what? Like the, the jump, like but we went from the big back TV. Remember the big back? You know <laughs> I, I, I'm like, I remember yeah, seeing.
0: <laughs> I remember seeing in a bar in a college widescreen HD. I guess it was 720p or 1080i sports. Yes, and I was like, holy shit! Bro. It might have been during the 2006 World Cup or something where yes. I was like, oh my god! god.
2: Remember <laughs> what it did to sports, right? You you yeah. you. you so I remember upgrading like my TV Sunday ticket pack or whatever, something I upgraded on your box to like the 1080p version, and you're like, oh my God, what about, I don't even need to go to the game. I can stay right here. This looks so crispy, and to the point where I would get games and look at the back of the box, oh, you're 720p, okay, you're 1080i. Like, I, it became a thing to see what graphics changed to. You know, obviously we had um, Xbox Live, and then Maddie being here bonded on this, which was, you know, I, I come from the era of, of the of the vicious party chat where the Co- Call of Duty Modern Warfare lobbies. The videos that go around of that today, I don't know if you see them on Twitter sometimes. I
0: listen to them and they're fucking hysterical. It's hilarious. Like, they're incredibly ho- horribly inappropriate, but it's I, I find it personally really, really funny.
2: <laughs> it made men out of us. <laughs> like, you waited to the end of that match, you gonna talk your talk to whoever was saying whatever and all type of disrespectful potential racist, whatever was going on and what's going on in these lobbies but it, it was camaraderie and then obviously you make friends from overseas like people to this day that's on my friends list that i met just out of random encounters in games because of xbox live like it's crazy and to think about that and um i remember like the um just extensively you know talking about like the first Peter's like when we're talking about like that, okay, like the early days of this 360 and that lineup and and just seeing like, you know, Gears of War for the first time when, and the mad world trailer and, and like seeing that connection with games as this big entertainment medium that's bigger than movies. Like this is this interactive thing that's that's new, and Bioshock came out, Mass Effect came out, Oblivion came out. Like it was all these major releases that kind of came around the same time that were really really defining the genre and pushing gaming forward and I, I really remember that and it also had the the, the shooter box dude bro sports kind of connotation with 360 which you know uh, I, I did fall into that pocket you know for a while but um, but yeah I just I'm just curious you know I, the golden era is kind of what I consider like old man talk but I'm curious for each of you <laughs> you know actually let's start with Maddie too with this first because mm-hmm. I feel he, he you're an old soul I, I feel like <laughs> You're a young guy, but I'm so impressed with you because you have such an appreciation for sometimes for things even before you. But I'm also cur- curious about your era and what you consider the golden era of, however you want to take it. So, open floor is yours. Curious.
3: Yeah, I had to think about this given my age. You know, I have <laughs> only seen so much. So oh only no, so many he's flexing the young <laughs> thing. Oh no! Sorry, no. right, guys. What? <laughs> um, you know where my head went with this, and I don't know if it's a answer to your question per se you'll let me know um i more so look at how kids are growing up now and the environment and the world they're growing up in now <clears throat> and maybe it's like old man shouting at the cloud i don't know any better but i look at that and um you know how we're always online we're so connected there's no breaking away from that and there's that pressure of social media it's so prevalent in every pocket of society and especially in this younger generation and i look at when i grew up right we were on the cusp of that like having a cell phone was a huge deal in school like a huge deal um like you were you were balling out if you had like a flip phone strapped to the waistline star tech yeah it, it was a huge deal oh, and was the man even then that. like you could send people a text <laughs> you could do you could do the phone calls but like you weren't super connected right like you'd go home from school and that'd be it you wouldn't probably hear from that person until the next day um and i think about playing outside toys like i look at the it's gonna sound like a really deep cut but i look at the quality of action figures like i always when i'm in like target or walmart i always fly by the toy section as literal curiosity i'm like Mm -hmm. i want to know what they're producing nowadays i do that and i look (laughs) and I, i i'm like literally disgusted i'm like this is what you're doing for these kids like this is what you're putting together for them And it just reaffirms what I personally believe. And of course, like ignorance is bliss. I don't know what it was like to grow up in the eighties or the seventies or whatever. But like, I think personally as like a nineties kid. I was born 95. Like I, I grew up during a very particularly special stretch where we were like, things were innocent or they appeared innocent because I think we knew less. Right. Um, And I was able to kind of have that ability to grow and go outside and and not focus on what's happening online and uh, and grow into that. Where by the time I was of age where my space was becoming a thing when I was in like sixth grade, I was like, what, 12? You know, like humble beginnings and then Facebook. And then by the end of high school, like Twitter was a more relevant thing, senior year, really. Like you know, I, I kind of look at that trajectory. I was able to grow into it, but there are kids like born into this world now and that is the norm and they're swiping through reels. I'm a hypocrite. I was just talking about it earlier, but I'm saying like that short attention span content It's changing how people consume things. I, I, I re- <laughs> when I go on these Instagram reels, sometimes what's more insane to me is not what's on the feed, but like you go to the comments, these people are fucking ruthless. Like they're growing up in a completely different manner. And so I look at the golden era as like in two angles, right? I look at it, how I grew up compared to how people are growing up. Now I, I firmly believe the way kids are growing up now sucks. I would say objectively (laughs) it sucks and I feel bad for them. Um, And I don't even say that to be like up on the high pedestal. Like I just like, this is it for them. Like, yep. You know, you get to people casually posting dudes dying on Twitter. It's like, yep, that's the norm fight video. Like fight videos are great, but like, it's so casual people really are with, like graphic they're violence really not good for shit. The,
0: they're not good for the the soul of humanity though
3: great you know you got to get fired up every now and then watch Shout a few of those beef. like we we need those but you know the graphic violence that's just casually shared like these kids are just going to find this at such a, a young age and i i don't know i mean i just so i look at it from that angle that i i think i grew up in a particularly like golden era where we were like I before I was ready to see the realities of the world, I I was mentally prepared for that. Right. And even then, it was still a little scary. Um, but, you know, I at least was old enough to grow into it. But there are kids who are below the age of 10 who would, like have cell phones and um, or, like smartphones, I should say. And that's that's wild because they just have they have access to everything. Yeah, um, dude. As you can tell, I'd be a strict parent. <laughs> yeah, you um, should. I think that's that's a lot. You know, that's a lot yeah. to think about. Um, On the other hand, though, gaming wise, because that's where my head goes to 360 era, absolutely Mm. golden era. Um, The the Xbox live party chats like the uh, I think of how games are made. I, I always say on Retro Rebound that I love a good 360 PS3 game because it had the spirit and the risk of a PS2 game with a bigger budget. So you'd get even crazier, bigger risks and. Um, nowadays we always hear about how when you miss that big risk the the drop off the clip cliff is steep uh, but back then it wasn't so steep so you'd get like an alice madness returns hmm. um, as a random example that comes to mind and so i look at that as like the golden era of gaming right now because in a sense the like, games are getting better but um am like i'm we're hearing the same shit constantly that like, games are expensive they're taking longer to make than ever before and therefore. Uh, you know, we can't keep doing these risky things. And I, I I said this on Defining Duke. I encourage people to watch this video that Tim Kane, who's one of the higher ups at Obsidian made, it's called Game Development Caution. And he talks extensively about three different stories and how, like, he asked a programmer in one instance, like, hey, this is like, going to take you 45 minutes. Um, can you get this line of code in, in our game? And they're like, I'll need four weeks. And he's like, what? And like, he said how creation is approached now with this abundance of caution. And and so now things are less risky and you have developers, as I've said for years, poaching ideas from the indie scene and bringing them into AAA once they can affirm like, yeah, that's going to work. Um, and it's such a low risk field in a way because it's turned less into a creative endeavor and more into a business. It's like we wanted it to grow And now we're here and it's this thriving industry and it's like almost less creative than ever before. So I look at that 360 generation with like real hearts in my eyes because I'm thinking to myself like, damn, dude, that was we got the best of both worlds like that for that time. Big budget games like, you know, you think of how great a game like The Last of Us looked and you could argue Mm. the PS3 still had a couple of years in it, man. That that game looked amazing. Um, And that was a game changer. It was one of the best games ever made. Um, you know, we're getting things like Halo Three, another best game ever made. Like, you know, and and the fun was there. Of course, you know, you think of the era of the we talked about the online lobbies. That was definitely a big part of it. But for me, it was it was those games and stuff. So, um, you know, I've always connected with like video game music more than any type of music. So, like, I don't really think like eras of music in particular. Like, I just I, I always find a song I really like. Uh, when it's a I put a, like a normal person track, and I just grind away and then i get sick of it and i'm like okay you know on, on to the next one uh, otherwise like 50s music like that's an, that's a i would say to me a golden era of music because i find the lyrics very almost sometimes not always innocent um i look at like modern rap at times and i just feel like it's always about like yeah doing drugs and fucking this and that and i'm just like okay like that's that like was a vibe when i was in college and that was a vibe like in high school but um i guess i don't know if my my taste matured or if i've gotten too prude or something like that but uh for me i that that to me was like a special era of music that like warms my soul like i i listen to it and i feel good and it sets a vibe and um makes me feel it like comforts me so like i i I look at that Particular era, strongly 70s as well. Uh, but these are all introduced through games. Like Fallout 3 introduced me to that era of 50s music. And uh, Guitar Hero was that like 70s, 80s stuff. So uh, again, it goes back to the video games for me with that golden era. So uh, that's how I look at it. If I, if my young ass was to say something was a golden era, no <laughs> doubt. What's, what's
0: Colin's golden era? I'm curious. um I wrote a few things down. I look at the early internet as a golden era like the the 95, 96, 97, 98 era, maybe even into like 99, 2000. That was a really special time to be online. And we're never going back to that world. And that's one of those things of just, you were there, you weren't. And it's not like anyone's better for you for having been there or not. It's just a very unique time. It was, I am of the mind that the millennial generation and Gen X to a degree, but really it's millennials lived in a very unique space in time where they lived at their most formative years a transformative you know um analog to digital life Mm. like they remember and existed totally in the other world and then they did exist entirely in this other world but it was at this formative time it didn't happen like i often think our parents were born in 1950 i think that that's so funny like the internet became a thing when our parents were in their for, like well I mean, it was the thing before that but it became a cultural thing in their 40s
1: yeah yeah
0: that's a pretty incredible thing but for us we were just being formed in this one way and then you get pulled over and so i look at that early internet time as a golden era for me also along that that line mtv <laughs> and vh1 to a degree as well because vh1 was very relevant too but not only the music videos, but just the hodgepodge of of cultural dominance that that seemed to come from those places that seems to be totally irrelevant today. Like, I don't know that kids today and it's a sort of oh, kids. Today. I don't know if they understand like MTV, like what MTV really was, like what how dominant and present omnipresent it was in your life. And I always think about that. It was so in music videos specifically, but all of the reality television stuff, when you think about like singled out or whatever or MTV news and obviously real world and road rules. Dang. And I talked about those recently and I love the nineties and I love the eighties and pop up video and all these cool things. Like there was a lot of, and I, we talked about a lot about TRL, which was a, that came out when I was in ninth grade and that sure. was huge for people oh, yeah. of my generation.
2: Yeah.
0: So I think about that for video games. I don't so- know what my golden era is. I'm very, I'm very inflexible with, adding games to my favorite list. Like I love a lot of games that I play year to year, but for some reason my my favorites list just doesn't break or bend at all, and I think it's not really a realistic look at the totality of the video games I've played and really the analysis of what is best and what isn't. And so with that in mind, that bias in mind, like I still really gravitate to the NES and SNES in a major way. I fucking love the NES. The NES is probably my favorite console. Mm-hmm. And will always be I think my favorite console, but I just don't know if that's really truly there's there's 25 games or so on the nes maybe a little more than that that are like insanely good and then there's probably another 50 or so that are good and that's a nice hit rate considering there's only like 800 games on the console period but the snes i really loved too but i wrote this other thing too that my game taste started to change as i got older dagan introduced me at a young age to jrpgs and i became pretty much totally i pretty much nine out of ten games i played in the 90s were jrpgs and so that era of snes to ps1 i feel like that was a really special time let's even say final fantasy IV is early but 93 slash 94 to 2000 is probably a golden era of jrpgs in my mind that it seemed almost especially during the ps1 era like one was coming out every other oh, week yeah where if you made a list of the top 50 JRPGs ever made, it literally, they were weeks apart from each other over and over and over. And Japan over and over was now.
1: so happy that we finally understood.
0: Yeah. They were just totally. like, they get it. <laughs> Think about it. Like, we, we got Wild Arms and Tales of Destiny and Brave Fencer Musashi and all these wonderful, just random games. Not yeah. to mention all the stuff that Enix was putting out back in the day on SNES and there was some stuff on Genesis. Fantasy Star was on Genesis oh, and Shining Phantasy Games Star. were over there. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was everywhere, but that was a really special era. I almost feel like, and the game we're trying to make at Lilymo is trying to invoke that specific era as if it belongs there. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's like some sort of revival because a lot of older games are, are, seem to be coming, but Square Enix is publishing a lot of strange stuff from their back catalog and you got the Star Ocean most recently, Star Ocean 2 specifically. So, anyway, th- as yeah, far as yeah, video games are spotlight. concerned, I, I think of that. And then, Dig, I think I had one for you that I thought would be interesting. Mm. The New York Yankees, nineteen ninety five to two thousand five. Oh boy! Yeah, oh, we yeah. go f- further than that. Yeah, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good one, baseball the man. Dynasty. <laughs> the dynasty era. That was. Yes. It's funny because people people that have been listening for a very long time, like a real like know me from a really long ago, will know that I always wore a Yankee hat. And a lot of a lot of my older pictures, you'll see, I was obsessed with the Yankees when I was a kid, and into my teen years and into my twenties. And it just became too much of a a burden to pay attention to baseball that like when you're in the real world, I just I really couldn't. It's just so demanding. I don't know how anyone watches. It really is. It baseball is. And pays attention Baseball's to it as opposed to college. football. Like I just turn my mind off most of the weekend and then I'm back and it it's literally we're just where we left off, which is great. But that Yankee team was an obsession. And those Yankee teams really. And I would think it would start from matt the end of mattingly and like the beginning of jeter to there we go yep. yeah to i don't know to me i really fell off beginning like 2006 2007 there was like that last 10 percent of prominence after that yeah but until jeter the, retired right yeah okay so even for and i was definitely out by then Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. i did watch his last game out of respect, but I don't think I've even watched a Yankee game front to back in 10 years, probably at this point or more, way more. But I say that only because that I know people know me as passionate about the Jets and the Islanders. And I am, I've always loved the Islanders and the Jets is something I picked up in high school. Like I've talked about And then in college, I I lived with the guy, Chris from long Island who got me mega, mega into them. So this, so for me, it's going on like 22, what I would say is 22 or 23 years of fandom with the Jets. And I, I care about them more than any other sports team, no doubt about it. But there was a time and there was a place where the New York Yankees were everything to me
3: yeah
0: and you you got it and it's funny like the later teams are they're great that's when they were really getting good but the the scrappier teams won more and they're you know 96 98 99 2000 Mm -hmm. and i always think about bernie williams and paul o'neill and andy pettit's my favorite player of all time um and just i mean and even like random ones like Musina and just like guys that i really took to that i really liked when he came over from the orioles Mm -hmm. and on on, I remember. I remember. I was in college. I was a sophomore. I want to say when A Rod got signed, I was like, "Holy oh, shit!" Was like huge.
2: this is, oh, I was and, and that was we got your Division Blizzard King. <laughs> <I> really, <laughs> <I> really was <laughs> exactly. I really was. What's what exactly, right? bro? But you can't <laughs> knock them. Like that's one thing I, I respected about you guys. Like they George cared about a winning product on the field, and but I, I hear what you say with the scrappier years too, because Solve is a hardcore Yankee fan like like you as well, and. I took joy watching those teams with the young Jeter and, 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 and so, you had some Mets sprinkled in there. You had a little Doc. You had a little strawberry. That yeah, kind of sure. Right. It was but, a lot
0: of homegrown. It was not a lot, but there was some homegrown talent there. Like it, it right. just. Sure. And I felt like the competition on, in the NL was better, too, when we
2: were playing. In right. Those, in those games, except for maybe those, 2000. Those brave teams were dominant. Right. Then. And, and yeah. that was the start. You got to knock them off. Right. And then the Yankee era. Stuff, I was like that. And I, I wrote a few guys in on that one. I was like, right. oh, it was pretty cool. And there was that little feeling, too, in the AL
0: where the Mariners were kind of busting out in the midnight in the mid 90s and kind of had to be shoved back down. And, you know, the, the twins were always relevant. Like I, I was seeing that the twins, I guess, made the playoffs this year. Right. And or something like that. And someone was saying it's been X amount of years. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The twins used to make the playoffs every yeah. year. <laughs> they'd win the al central like all the time yeah
1: they were always yeah they were always you know, part of and,
0: it, yeah and like and then they'd get knocked out or maybe it was that they won a round maybe that's what it was that they actually like won around i'm like yeah we used to just be they, we would get the, we would draw the twins all the time and then beat them um but i also remember those losing years too 2001 right was the diamondbacks
1: yes I randy johnson right. yeah i remember that I one and right.
0: shilling the shilling yes yes the year we, we needed it, it most bloody yeah shot. that was yeah exactly yeah. And then the, I remember the 2003 year really bumming me out oh because that was God. the year Aaron Boone's home run in the ALCS game seven. We win, we play the Marlins and they beat the shit out of yeah. us. Yeah, that
2: was a weird one. I remember that, that, was, yes, a that was weird.
0: weird. One. So I remember that one too. And then 2004 was a, I was in Boston for all this. So it was, it was, it was very interesting. And I used to wear my Yankee hat and like Dagan knows, I, and you, I don't know if you remember Cog, everyone selling their illegal shirts outside of the uh, oh, Yankee stadium and, oh, and whatever I used, to, I used to, I had a 1918 shirt I used to wear. <laughs> oh, you was disrespectful. Oh, yeah, my boy. Boy. oh, oh disrespectful. you was one of those. Yeah. You had the had, it said, it just said 1918 and like basic text on it or whatever. They used and, to, uh, ch- we
2: used to go to the games. They'd be
0: chatting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 19, it was awesome.
2: You didn't win Boston. T- wow.
0: <laughs> and then, and then um, it was emotional. Yeah. Up three Oh yeah. in the ALCS. It was, was okay, crying I mean, I'll never, I, that's the stuff is, There's a lot of sports moments I'll never forget. I was at an Islanders playoff game in 2002, a famous game where Sean Bates scored on a penalty shot and they beat the Maple Leafs in that game. And that's like a famous moment. And that was awesome. And it was cool to be there. And I remember it. And it was wild. And it's cool that it's on video. It was like an ESPN clip of it on YouTube. And I was like, it's so cool. I wonder where I am in the crowd. So I've seen those kinds of moments, but I'll never, ever, 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 ever forget the ALCS in 2004. Because after they lost that second game, I was like, they're going to lose the series. You just
1: felt that you just yeah, The writing it. was on the wall.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you just had to sit there and deal with it. And I remember throwing my 1918 shirt out. I did. I threw it out <laughs>
1: <When> <laughs> they, well, because they
0: won the point. World Series. After that, they beat the Cardinals. I want to say I don't um, something like that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Dick. I had to throw that out there as we segue to you, because I mean that New York Yankees, that's a golden era for me. And, and I never you have to understand. I'm a big Islanders fan. They had they're one of the greatest dynasties in sports history. And they won their last cup right before I was born, literally right before I was born. And then they have never won ever again. Mm. And the Jets obviously haven't won since 69. So I never experienced a golden era with those teams. We've had good years and fun years and exciting runs and all that, but never anything like I would consider a golden era that Yankees team, you know, always competitive, always fun, always good to go to a game. I went to a million games during that era. And I used to go to games at Fenway, too. People know that I used to I don't know if they still do it, but. Um, I went to Northeastern, which is right next to Fenway Park. It's the university that's basically closest to it. It kind of pincers BU on the other side and Northeastern's near the back bay and the Fens. And I would they would release 200 standing room tickets for every game before every game. They would do it at 8 a.m. And I, I used that. to sleep outside when the Yankees would come to town, literally take my comforter off my bed, go sleep on the street in front of this <laughs> box office buy you'd only get you can only buy two max um and they were 20 bucks each i would buy one i would sell the other one to a scalper for 40 bucks make my money back and then go to the game that night wow and wow. that's i would do that all the time i did that probably 10 times you know so um so yeah Jake, what do you think about this
1: that was an era yeah shout out to joe tory and we Hell can't yeah. forget oh salute the sandman oh right. of course i mean oh come on. it was God, all God. about mom I mean I he, he was so he was part of the- he was part of the breakdown
0: too, which is so interesting about him, right like he was the it was his pitching that played a central role in oh my God and the wouldn't, in wouldn't the, the, loss. the rare, yeah, yeah the rare yeah. 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 which was like very that was what was so fucked up about it was that it was everyone that had their boot over them for so long like it, I'm sure it was the mo- craziest most remember they had to refilm the end of that Jimmy Fallon movie um yes. it was remember that they did a Jimmy Fallon movie about being a Red sox fan and how yes, hopeless it yeah, was yes. And, and they should talk about what and they won, that? and they had to, like, at the last minute refilm yes. Yes. the end of it, which was cool. So uh, in hindsight and knowing so many Red Sox fans and living in Boston, it's like I'm happy for them, but at the time I fucking hated those. Oh, I hated them It was so, so emotional much. back then. Oh, it
2: was It was really crazy. It really laughed. was. We, Mets fans, we snickered. We said, yeah, finally, sure we finally, some shake of the armor, damn it. <laughs> we, we became fake uh, Red Sox fans for a bit. I ain't gonna lie. Mets fans, because you guys were infallible. It was, you were so dominant, and it was just so improbable, right? It was just like 3-0, yeah, it's over. It was. Because I wanna
0: say, Cog, I don't know if you remember this, the third game. I want to say, didn't the Yankees win like eighteen to two or something? Wasn't wasn't game three a... like an absolute murdering? So yeah. people were like, "Oh, this is
1: oh, I do remember the that. end."
0: Yeah, I got to look that up.
1: Yeah, but going a demoralizing
2: score, I do agree.
1: I do remember though, and I still don't know the answer to this. Like that period of time, I'm sure the Red Sox fans felt the same way. I don't know if I love the Yankees more or or hated the Red Sox more. Yeah, totally. I honestly I totally don't understand. know which I was more passionate about. But it yeah, was 19 I, I remember it was way. emotional especially being at the games. I remember my da- our dad who doesn't get emotional getting emotional at a Yankees game because back then I'm sure Fenway was the same way. It was like for Yankees Red Sox in Yankee Stadium, it was like 60-40. It was like 40% Red Sox fans in those stands. You know, cuz there's a lot of transplants and it's also not that far. You know, if you're hardcore enough you're going to make the trip. So, yeah, that was an interesting time. Let me give this topic some elderly energy. You know, Uh Uh why not? That's, that's what I do. That's what I do here on the show. So like when Cog sent this, the first thing I thought of was like, you know, listen, we have those largely established, accepted golden eras, right? Like you could read it in a book. Everybody knows the Hollywood, the big Hollywood movie golden era was the twenties and thirties through the fifties, right? Everybody kind of accepts that. Or, you know, the, the golden age of television or everybody knows the golden age of comic books was the late thirties through the mid fifties, that type of thing. But I love these personal golden eras so much better. Like who, who says what's what, you know, what I realized when Cog sent the topic and I was kind of making a laundry list of all the things I care about, I was like, oh shit, you know what this is? The golden era or the golden age for just about everything for me anyway, is anything from when I was probably in my late teens or early twenties. I just go across the list, check them off. Pop culture, video games, music, TV, art, the things I personally really care about, like skateboarding, hip hop, manga and anime. Maddie, that's not up for debate. Early early (laughs) nineties was the best for those type of things. And, it is kind of all in that wheelhouse of me being in my late teens, early 20s, for whatever reason. And I have this kind of strategy that I developed. If you, if I call out, this is the golden era for video games, and I say the 16-bit era, it's the SNES, and you call out a different era, I'm just going to anoint my era, the platinum age, or I'll call it the diamond age. We can just kind of keep escalating or whatever. but. What I'm saying is this is the best. So if we have to go above gold, if we have to go white gold, platinum, I don't care where we go, titanium, whatever. <laughs> That's how it's got to go. But it's it's true though. But then, you know what's interesting about that though? In that era, because a lot of it play. listen, it's all wrapped up in this conversation. We already see it. Like a lot of this is nostalgia. Absolutely. A lot of this is the stuff, those periods of time that we look back fondly on favorably, which has a lot to do with when we were born. I love you guys talking about toys and Cog, we would have been such boys growing up. And oh. obviously we grew up, look at Cog's shirt, in the golden age of toys and going into like a toy store or a box store now. It's so obvious why kids play with Legos. It's like, there's no other alternative. We talk about that a lot on the show. It's like, it's, there's just nothing else that's thoughtful or you know tempting or you know, Lego's got it sewn up. And I kind of understand why, because toys are pretty lame now. You know, so kids, that's kind of all kids are left with. That's halfway cool, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I love the overlap periods though, or the what, you know, like everybody knows, everybody has a different opinion on music. And again, it's generational, but for some reason, those of us that really kind of know about rap music, about hip hop, just know like late eighties to early to mid nineties is just <sighs> one of the best periods for hip hop.
2: Insane.
1: East coast, West coast. West coast northern california southern california i guess the southern aspect was kicking in but it didn't matter like you know we had we already had tribe and De La tribe. and we already had public enemy and Ooh. all the classics krs and big daddy King, but now here comes wu-tang 92 yes. 93 so yes. you know that was just such a form and you know of course nas and jay-z yeah. and were, everybody was you know um So that's interesting when it's kind of universally accepted. I think that's kind of fascinating where everybody's like, no, 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 you're right. It doesn't even matter. It defies generation. It defies when you were born. That's kind of fascinating. I want to kind of, I got like this bullet point thing and I want to lead up to a question for you guys though, because this Mm -hmm. is, Cog's topic made me think of this. So when it comes to the golden age of things, right? If you just kind of look at the anthropology of it, you can only really, it's all down to, you can only really acknowledge it after it happens obviously right you could only sing its praises once you are in the future now looking back it needs time to sink in in other words so it's firmly you have a period you're you're in the now and what you're thinking about or what you're talking about is firmly in the rearview mirror right and it also acknowledges that the current age from when you're looking back There had to be some sort of evolution, right? Or a de-evolution, but it has to be different now. So we look back firmly on classic movies or older movies, right? Partially because of practical effects. Like it's kind of fascinating. It was before the advent of the computer, before digital VFX kicked in. So we look back at how the way it used to be. And it's warm and fuzzy memories, or wasn't that such a cool thing when they had to do this by hand and they had to you know, it was so much more tactile and it wasn't done inside of a box and all that sort of thing. So there has to have been some sort of progression in some way, or at least a change over time. So this begs the question for me, and I want to ask you guys, as we're sitting here right now having this conversation in 2023, I do wonder what golden age we're in right now. Like what are we and I I the first thing I thought about this when I posed the question was maybe we're in the golden age of podcasting. As it gets bigger now or maybe even we're maybe late even I think YouTube, we're late but that could be argued.
0: I feel like we're late in the golden era of podcasting at this point.
1: What would you say was the golden era for that?
0: 2010 that, to 2015 was probably when like it was in my opinion when it was more rare, and that was that was where the, a lot of the most influential shows that I know about in all of these different spaces really spawned from. And I think we're still people will still consider this a golden era because everyone can do it. But I think along with the flattening of mm. like what we you were saying, the flattening of barriers comes a lowering of quality as well. Just overall, not that the most high quality stuff couldn't come out of the lowering of barriers because, of course, that happens too. But I yeah, think, that's true. I think, we're, I think we're kind of in like late or post golden era podcasting. Mm. Now we're in the. I think Maddie had said it earlier about the like games becoming products. Right. And we're in the commoditization mode with games now. Totally. And we're in that mode now with podcasts. So, you know, and
1: YouTube,
0: Chris would be the best to answer this. I bet you, Chris would say that. And maybe Maddie would have an interesting insight into this too. I think we're, people think we're well past the the golden era of YouTube.
1: What would the Um, golden era be?
0: You would know better than me because you're such a huge fan, but I think Chris would say like 10 years ago. Plus. Yeah.
1: I would say 2012, 2013. I would
0: agree. Yeah, Yeah, I would agree
1: yeah people still yeah.
0: figuring out
3: what works it wasn't so like algorithm driven it was kind of just like the best bubble to the top that type of stuff yeah well it's
0: before them it's before the bean counters got a hold of all these different things and, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that because that's where the money comes from and that's awesome but yeah once the bean counters get their whole a hold on something and understand it was like you were saying earlier about vetting indie game mechanics and big games once they realize oh podcasting is going to kill radio and you know, uh, YouTube is going to kill fucking terrestrial TV and all these things. Oh, then right. they get their hands on it. Then it becomes commodified. And then I think the golden era is is long past. It's why. I, I think this is true that people flagrantly misuse the word punk in terms of music and that punk music is, is is long, long, long dead because it's it's antithetical to any sort of commercialization and all that sort of thing. But we kind of just continue on that path anyway. I don't know. I, think I interrupted you with that whole slogan. no
1: not at all no not at all I was just that that was my train of thought I was like it's it's kind of fascinating because it makes me impatient in a way because you only know later on in looking back at something and I think it's comparative too like it, you need context so you look at current movies and you relate them to films that were done in the past and I don't even know if it's a better or worse thing but again again I think it's an evolution or a change or something that you're fond of that's done differently or whatever it is. And then you look back and you say, okay, I anoint that period as the golden age. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we live through, it's it's fascinating when it's, it's almost fascinating you could take this to any topic and it's interesting. I think about television, right? The golden age of television. And we think of, you know, we kind of lived through that not that long ago, as everybody sees it with the Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Mad Men and The Wire and, you know, great television but if you think of great dramatic television that started in the 70s with Altman with MASH and Hill Street Blues like it wasn't just soap operas and vapid sitcoms and things like good television had already taken place decades earlier you know yeah. maybe it wasn't as much the saturation hasn't hadn't set in yet it, there was a little less where everything kind of came and converged and we got a lot at the same time where maybe it was kind of a one off every few years back then or whatever. But it is kind of interesting in that it is kind of comparative and you only know in looking back. So I do wonder about right now, mm-hmm. you know, and it seems it just seems like such a confusing time. And in some ways such a shitty time. So it's nice that we're it's nice to think maybe we're living through some golden age right now, but I don't I don't even know what yeah. the answer would be.
2: The only one I can think of when you mentioned that and it spin back to gaming, but in a different way is I always tell Maddie, because like we get into the uh, games play section. I've kind of been redundant in the last two weeks where it's been like Tekken, right? Tekken mm. is the, I'm Tekken. I'm so hyped for Tekken eight. I've been playing the closed network test. So I've been playing Tekken seven. And I was what I would consider in my day a competitive Tekken player. I was That's really awesome. good. And I was a guy that would go to Chinatown fairs and and challenge the top guys and hold my own. And you know I would, you know, this was the era I think Colin too of back before before that. Was it game facts? People would put out, there was so lack of knowledge about Tekken that there were people that would make game facts and there was a verbiage of how to use each character. And these are mm-hmm. people who were skilled. And I would download these and through these forums and message boards, I'd meet the top players of a certain character. And I would have random people meet up at arcades. Like it was that kind of energy. So I'm, I'm spawning back to now. I think we're in the golden era of competitive gaming because I've been watching these kids. First of all, I cannot hang with any (laughs) of these guys. Like these guys, they're doing frame data. They've got punishment. It's insane. The level of technicality Mm. that kids have. And then obviously the dexterity and, and memorization. And then, the, the amount of things that they're doing, so I watch it Eve, I, I just got caught on YouTube, you know, just watching things that comes up on your recommendation recommendation list. True. And I'm watching these kids, and now I'm starting to know them. And then now this kind of feeds into the esports aspect of it, and all these even big sports organizations, the Patriots, Robert Kraft, all these guys are spending money on these esports teams to the point. I was at a mixer maybe two three weeks ago, and there was a guy telling me how like um he's like a director at syracuse now and he's talking about how the big 10 is losing all these kids because they don't have competitive gaming or esports or gaming curriculum as part of you know their their programs and they're moving away from the big east and all this stuff to these other schools and he's like hey i just started a program if you know i'm hiring and i'm just like wow esports is like that like competitive gaming is like that like it's insane right now again i don't know if it's sustainable right. you know what but at the end of the day it's just one of those things that i really had to take a step back with all the fighting games tech and street i mean three five six is insane right now um, oh my god oh it's i can't it's, even go there dude they're too they're too good they're too good. It's They're too good, and and, and I, I watch it, and it was I was on the edge of my seat watching these kids. It was really, really cool stuff. So that's what I would say for me is I, I think again we'll see how it pans out. But competitive gaming seems to be really trending upward in a big way.
1: I like that answer. That's really the only thing I could think. I mean, you could think of with the advent. And the increasing availability and technology of EV cars, maybe we're in a golden, a sort of newer golden age of the internal combustion engine, you know, where it's like car makers are trying to, are scrambling to get, you know, I guess in some ways, and I don't know that much about this, so I could be talking out of my ass technically, but I'm, I'm assuming there's some sort of scramble and mad dash as all engines get replaced with electric engines for cars. You know, I'm, I'm I'm sure that's in the offing. I don't know if that's two years from now or 25 years from now, but there's got to be some semblance of let's do what we can with what we have now. You know, so that could be that's interesting too. And of course, there's like the Mopar era and classic cars and the hot rod era of the 60s and 70s. But maybe we're in some new thing that with if you're a car person, you know about that where it's like that it's the last vestiges of it, so it might be the best. You know, type of thing. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Well,
0: Cog, are you satisfied with your topic? Absolutely. Loves yeah, it's a good responses. one. All right. Let's end, Dig. Let's end strong with your topic. All right. I leave it to you.
1: Let's do this. So don't worry. I know Kyle was construing this as a political topic, but I'm thinking about it more in a humorous way. And listen, guys, we can't put our heads in the sand. We got to get ready. The holidays are coming. This is going to happen. I think it's I mean, maybe for some people, it's not inevitable, but I think for many of us, it's an inevitability. And what I'm talking about is what I wanted to discuss with you guys today is talking politics. With family, with friends, I'm thinking family gatherings, holidays around the dinner table. You have, like we've been talking about lately on the various shows with Colin's wedding, it's sort of a a blending of people that aren't usually together. Maybe you're together once a year, both sides of the family four sides of the family, if you're married, whatever it is, friends from both sides and everything like that. It's a it's a mashup of people that aren't usually together and everybody has some sort of political feelings or political affiliations. So unless your family is all on down one side of the aisle, or you're smart enough not to get together with your family at the holidays, this is unavoidable, right? So, and you guys can mm. take it however you want, but I'm thinking about stories. Maybe you've dealt with this before. I think it's fair to say every family has that one or maybe more that can't or won't help themselves. They just can't not talk about it. They can't start, they can't ignite that that fire and just see what happens, you know, that type of thing. You know, I want to know, do you guys engage? Do you abstain? Now, I'm gonna set it off with a story that I don't talk about a lot because it's a very regrettable incident. In my life, okay? But it was one to grow on because this is where I once foolishly dared to get entangled and then forever (laughs) learned my lesson. This was years ago, maybe a couple of decades ago. And I was thinking about this, Cog, because you and I recently on one of our episodes were talking about being the diplomats in our Mm -hmm. given circles with our family and friends. We're the people that usually kind of rise above Right. We could kind of, we could, we're able to agree to disagree. Right. We have that energy of like, you do you different Mm -hmm. strokes, whatever. I'm not going to get offended. You know, I was thinking about this. Colin and I did an episode of knockback a couple of weeks ago on RoboCop. And 98% of the time over the last five or six years, what we talk about on knockback, we love and we gush about, but I didn't like RoboCop that much. (laughs) and i didn't as a kid i don't like paul Verhoeven. i don't like his stuff and it was uh it was an episode of like listen i got it it's a me thing but i don't like robocop i never did that's why i only saw it once you know it wasn't for me people got pissed people were you know like uncharacteristically like you guys suck (laughs) and it was like that thing of like wow we can't just you know, I'm one of those people, it doesn't matter what your politics are. I, I could even love you. Like, we don't have to agree, but as long as it's respectful and as long as it's not hateful, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't care. Right. And we could even have a conversation. And you could be calling me an idiot in not so many words the entire time. It doesn't matter, but there's those people that just get a little more aggressive maybe, <laughs> right? They got to make their views known. And what's interesting about my our family growing up is that we kind of run the gamut politically, everybody. We're not we're definitely not down one side of the aisle. And there are those people that I guess engage a little bit, but it's never been too bad on my side of the family. With Helene's side of the family, it's interesting because and I, I love everybody in Helene's family so much, but I am definitely like a meathead in a sea of archie bunkers out here. <laughs> like that's just how it is. That's just how it is. Reference. You know what I mean? Like and yeah. that you know, it's Helene just comes from a very conservative family. It's always been that way. It's definitely been like a meathead archie dynamic with her dad who I love. he's one of my favorite people, but from very early on, that was the whole vibe. It was like this young artist animator kid and this white collar accountant c o o of a company like it was just like a very it was just like two very it was a very conflicting energy it was conflicting energies you know. But we learned to, and I always make fun of him because I'm like, you know, you, we, we're from like the political, the democratic stronghold of the state and you, know, you dare to be conservative in Philadelphia. Like this is, a, this is the one vestige of democracy in the entire state of Pennsylvania. It's the only thing making this place purple, you know, but you know, so we always had that dynamic going on and he he's awesome. But probably Helene and I were just married. So I want to say this was 2003, 2004 ish. Not exactly sure, but I know it was that Obama was becoming part of the conversation. Maybe this is a little later, it might have been like 2005 ish. And, you know, she has a very conservative family. Everybody's very conservative in our family. So we got to talk in politics, and it wasn't a deep family function. Like it wasn't a Christmas or a Thanksgiving, but they were at our house. It was Helene and I's first little house that we bought together right after we got married. And everybody was over. I want to say it was for somebody's birthday, but I'm not exactly sure. And even despite my usual nature and everything, I don't even know. Like it just the it, the the conversation started to turn into an argument, and it started to get out of hand. And people left in a huff. It turned into like a full blown thing. Ooh. and. <laughs> Really, in retrospect, I was like, you know, you should have kind of ratcheted it back. You were the host. Like, you, For for some reason, I lost my temper. Whose house? Who's I don't house? even remember exactly what. Yeah, Whose house? Whose house? It was I, my house. It oh, was last, it there our there first go. house.
2: <laughs> there you go.
1: And I think it was her sisters and her parents. It wasn't like everybody was there, but it was enough people, you know, a dozen people or something. I think it was before we had kids. And it was ugly, you know, and- I just remember thinking never again. I'll never engage to that level again. And mm-hmm. I'll never sort of let the conversation get my goat again. Like I'll never get to that, that because honestly it doesn't matter. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to disagree. That's okay. type of thing. So that is always like a stark reminder. I wear that like a badge and just saying like, it doesn't matter where it goes. I'm not going to, I'm only going to get involved to a certain point. Before I kind of dial back and just become a spectator, essentially, because I don't want to go there, you know. It's and and it really it was kind of a weird look for me because I ne- that's just not me at all. So again, I'm not sure what spun it out of control, but I just always am very serious about remembering what that felt like because it haunts me still to this day. I remember the first couple of weeks after it happened, I felt so bad about it like i remember just dwelling on it at work i couldn't concentrate i was i was commuting at that time into new york so it was like these long trips on the train where i'm just ruminating and just really? like oh man like you know that was that was really? shitty yeah. so so the, yeah before i throw it over to you guys so any way you want to t- take this i mean is it something that you kind of usually see happening with your families around the holidays or around the family gatherings where you get into these political discussions, these discourses, hopefully not arguments. Um Cog, what do you think about about all this?
2: This is such a funny topic. <laughs> um for me, I am I'm blessed to be uh uniquely able to avoid this. <laughs> um the reason being is, you know, my my mother and my my father split, right? They they were separated. Yeah, yeah. Um my for those who don't know, I have talked about this on Mailbag once and a a Lord once. My mom is extremely religious. She's she's JW, which Joe Witness. So they don't really engage in that type of talk, right? Right. You know, she's you know she's going to talk her spiritual talk with me and hope that I see the light one day. That kind of energy, you know, because I always told I said, look, it it made me who I am. It made me a good person. Sure, but I'm not a fan of um per se. I respect everyone's religion. I'm just like you, Dave. We're very kindred spirits in that respect, like. I don't care what religion, what politics you have, um, what your sexuality is. To me, I've always internalized this as separators, because at the end of the day, we have to be honest. We all have these core things that are the essence of us, right? And if you learn that someone you consider a friend is the complete opposite of you in this regard. You can get spiteful. (laughs) You cannot like that person no more. Right. And I just choose to live my life different. Now, some may come, you know, counter me and say, look, you're just putting your head in the sand. I think there's some fairness to it, an extent. But there's a part of me that's like I refuse to look at the things that tear us apart but what I actually have in common with that person and love that person for that. So this way I don't care about those other things. And I like you now, to your point with this, I'm able to avoid it. Well, mom, cause she don't really do that. My dad, he's, he's very intellectual. You know, he'll talk politics here and there. The thing where I am the problem now is my best friend, Paul, who I mentioned before, Yeah, he gets mad because every holiday it's a regular day to me. JWs do not celebrate holidays. They do not do any of that stuff. I've was, I never had birthdays. I never had Christmas. I never had Thanksgiving. I never had any of that. So I'm just used to it. I don't look at it as like, and maybe when I was a kid, younger, you go to school and like, damn, everyone's got a birthday gift and you don't have anything. Or everybody's got Christmas presents. You sure. Come. Like you didn't have anything. But I'm so inco- accustomed to it. It's, you know, a regular day. So what would happen is he'd be like, yo, bro, I cannot believe you are it's Thanksgiving. I got my family down. Like, come over. Like, I can't believe you by yourself or like what's going on. So was it a while I would, all right, entertain. And I'm like, all right, I will come through Dagan, the, the drama with these Italians. <laughs> like, like, bro, like I, it is town. world war three. And then, the, you know, the, 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 in-laws, you know, very conservative, you know, they're talking about the election, this one's an idiot. I can't believe you would support that. Look what he did. Then it's it's literally NBC versus Fox live. They and I can't believe you watch that garbage. They spew nonsense and I'm just like these grown people. I've seen people get up out the table, storm out I'm like, I don't know why y'all do this to yourself every year. It always pops up. Oh, and I wait for it. I'm like, look, bro, it's going <laughs> to happen right now. Or the TV's <laughs> on and they're going t- to something. Oh, with something's going to be the catalyst. Right. Yeah. Then, you know, the, the thing that's right now, I'm definitely not going to his house for, the, for no holidays this year with the whole Palestine and, you know, what's going on. Yeah. And Oh, man. So it's just like, I just I just see what it does to people and I just can't live my life that way. Now I don't avoid if you ask me okay, what do I think, you know what I'm saying on certain topics. Yeah, I'll give my opinion, you know what I'm saying? But there's some things like for example, that I'm very torn right now with the um, you know, what's going on with the Jewish plight as far as in, in Palestine because I understand I've got, I've got kind of like kind of like I've got very deep rooted connections to the Jewish community. You know what I'm saying? I I went to me and saw our first job was like a yeshiva university at Albert oh, Einstein wow. College of Medicine in the Bronx. Like I have deep Jewish ties, but then I also have deep Muslim ties and deep Palestinian like people who truly I respect and I see. I listened to Sacred One time, Colin. I, I heard you kind of touching on it and how, where you, you me and you, I think in the same pocket as far as, you know, it's a very sensitive subject. And this Yeah, is like I, I admitted that I,
0: I have a bias, like a deep bias in this situation. Like I am unapologetically pro-Israel. I just don't think that produce, me saying
2: that and going on about it, it's like, what does that produce? Like, right. you know. And, you and know. again, like you said, it's it's stuff that's these, this is years of conflict and and pressure. The last thing I'll say is, we want another reason why I stay out of it Is because if you look at the biggest wars, the biggest mass murders, the crusades, that it's always religion. It's always, you know, these things that really, you know, separate. And I think now, obviously, with sexuality and this one, you know, everyone has some type of issue. So I avoid this stuff like the plague. <laughs> I am not going to your, you know, family function for the most part, if I can avoid it. And I just choose to abstain from it. But, um, you know, I'm curious what you guys say. I'm very curious with Colin in this as well. And, um, yeah, I'll double you, Colin, cause I'm very curious, like, how do you, how do you match? You're very strong, you know, politically. Yeah. <laughs> you have thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I
0: do. I think over time, first of all, I think people would expect that I would be the political agitator in these situations, Mm -hmm. but I'm not, I, I, we just don't really talk about these things with most of the family. However, certain permutations of people, my mom loves to talk about politics. My dad loves to talk about politics, but in the right circumstances, I think if there's any been any uncomfortable situations around family, in my experience, it's just been when my mom has brought something up usually or something. And my sister Dana then disagrees with her or whatever the case might be. I don't
1: really know, but yeah, um,
0: but they generally are speaking,
1: opposite sides of the spectrum, pretty much.
0: Yeah, and I, I just think my dad and I speak about politics, but my dad and my dad is very politically influential on me, and I really take pride in like the Long Island conservative strand that keeps Long Island largely red, but is kind of more, I don't know, normal Rockefeller type, as we would call, like a more. Um, moderate or liberal conservative so I don't feel like I'm really off the reservation on any specific topic anyway but it just as I've gotten older I've learned well you were saying something about yourself about not doing it to yourself and not enjoying it and all that and when I had my short run in doing political content I realized that about myself very quickly that I was completely wrong about my appetite for this that I actually don't like the conflict and I don't like the constant pandering and the partisanship and all of that I'm a real pluralist in the most meaningful way I think that you have to embrace that people are going to disagree with you about a whole ho- a whole host of issues it's like a game of chess wherein I would imagine no two people are the same in complete political makeup if you if you reduced it to like a thousand or two thousand political questions to a person there would probably be no two people that would answer those questions the exact same way and that I think should be encouraged and embraced and I think when people alienate themselves. From others because of these political things or are not able to take them maturely. I think they're doing themselves a disservice. But I understand that I'm surrounded by people like that sometimes. And I don't mean that about family, just generally. People are just not ill-equipped. And I I think that kind of sucks. Like I, I think the beauty, I bring this up a lot, but I think it's really weird in Australia that you have to vote. Like you have to vote in Australia. Right. Yeah. It's compulsory. And I think part of freedom and liberty and pluralism is people being is you being allowed to be in a country hating it, not wanting to be here, bad-mouthing it, not participating in it, all of that kind of stuff I think is fine because that's kind of like what you're supposed to embrace. But it seems to me that a very specific, what I would consider as a largely left-wing ideology that has gained hold in culture over the last, let's say, 10 years or so has this idea that it's like there's nothing to argue about because you are talking about my very existence. And it's like, and my whole thing is like, Um, If you think we're talking about your very existence, you don't even know what we're saying. And that's like kind of where it remains. And so there's nothing to say even. And it's kind of a scary point to be in some way because I feel like a lot of people are disassociated and have no idea what's really going on. And I think like I think it's weird that no one cares that millions and millions of people are pouring over the southern border. That's not weird to anyone. That doesn't concern anybody. That's not strange that we are involved and intertwined in these foreign wars that have nothing to do with us. I said before I was pro-Israel, but I'm not, I don't want us to be involved. They can take care of themselves. The CIA can help them. And I hope they take everyone out that did what happened on, on, in early October. And it's great, but we don't have to be involved in it. It's the same way I feel about Ukraine. And I feel like just things happen and the lines are pushed so much because people don't pay attention. And I think I wonder if it happens because it starts at the nucleus at these family gatherings and familial gatherings and being around people where people are just timid and don't know how to handle the pluralism that's necessary to have these conversations and figure out better solutions so people take advantage of that you know and yeah. things I happen that seems like things happen day that seem like no one supports and it's like how did that happen when no one wants that right and it's because like no one wants that to happen yeah it, it it's just so strange to me so I had to throw that in there, too, that I think that people I I don't feel like that kind of conversation has a place in our family at gatherings. Ninety nine percent of the time. And that's fine with me. But I think it's important for not everyone to dodge it in all aspects, because there's a level of reality that I think people are ducking to. And if people can't. If they want to be like if they want to isolate themselves from other people because of political disagreements that are not fringe political disagreements. Like you're not a Nazi, right? Or literally, like you're not in the – I said this with Gene when we were talking about it. I'm like there's 330, 335 million people in in the United States. And we were talking about how many people are actually like political extremists, Ku Klux Klan or something like that. I'm like, right, few hundred thousand. I mean like literally like the kind of people you're talking about. So like let's stop with the insanity, you know, and like talk to each other again.
1: See that's the thing that's the thing though like that's the tricky part of this conversation because that's very reasonable what you said and I'm mm-hmm. I'm here for that but there's two things I think that people not everybody and if one person gets out of line you know quote mm-hmm. unquote out of line it's like you got to kind of honor this policy right of know your audience of the the table right and also adhere to a thing of like there's a time and a place Is Thanksgiving dinner really the time and place to have this conversation? If you know it can't be civil, if you know it's going to get out of hand, if you know it's going to, there's going to be some sort of unrest. Before I hand it over to Maddie, I just want to say there's a person, there's two types of people I know in my life that are more inclined to want to engage in this type of stuff around the dinner table, for instance, at Thanksgiving. One of them has a real mischief energy. Like I'm going to, I'm going to throw this grenade. I'm going to take the pin out and I'm going <laughs> to see what happens. And my answer 99 times out of hundred is I'm going to walk away and get in the foxhole and I don't want to have anything to do with it. Right. And it's that one time that I got sucked in. And then the other, the other energy is even in a way more disturbing because, and I don't think the person that I know who does this is doing it in an insidious way but there's a feeling there's almost a translation somewhere of i'm going to talk to you from my pov and sh- kind of spread the gospel because if we keep talking about it you're going to f- end up feeling like i feel like i'm going to transform you
2: yes 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 right yes, i'm going to i'm
1: going to kind <laughs> i'm going to yes. convert you yes is basically what it's saying and that may be something that happened in the incident i explained where it was like i felt like I was respecting your perspective. You weren't, you, and you're trying to change me. You know, so that yes. that that just just sort of incited, you know, some sort of anger.
2: Where I was like, oh shit! I, I, I want to jump in because I know yeah, you're of course. Going and I, and it, this is part. Not you. You eloquently explained a little bit better my position, because there's a part of me that there are a few people, the way Colin mentioned, like, yo, we should talk to each other, which is the correct thing. We should talk to each other. We should understand each other. However, some people, their emotionality takes over and they are so passionate. They can't have critical thinking. Mm. And when I able to discern that from you, that no matter what I say, you won't refuse to even acknowledge the perspective of why someone might feel opposite of you, (laughs) then it it translates to everything. This is even bad. Like this is even games. Like I've had to pull back sometimes, you know, like mentioning a comment section or something like that, because the emotionality is so high. They can't even understand why anyone would think any different from me. And you know what? You're wrong. I gotta change and correct why you're wrong, you know what I'm saying? and it comes as a simple thing and me and AJ Attic, you know we we, we have this thing, and we just say to each other, that I love it like respectfully, when we get to that point, all right, brother, we're gonna say we agree to disagree and let's just let's just leave mm-hmm. it and move and this way, I don't hate you you know and we we just build off that and then sometimes over time, Sorry. That person can will sometimes potentially could come to your side over over time with certain different perspectives. But when it's this, there's no way They're, like some people are so dug in. It doesn't matter what you say. They are on their square. And I, I can sense that with a lot of people very quickly. And that's why I disengage. But there are the few exceptions where you like, you know what? That was some critical thing. Oh, he, you know what? He got me to challenge my own belief on something. You know what yeah. I mean? Those are the those are the gems. But I feel those are rare, and most people wearing sports jerseys. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's what it is. is. Yeah, I, I I agree. Just in the sense that I I know I could corner you. I could I could ask you a question, dominate the conversation with a lot of different people, get points across, make you look dumb, whatever. No, I'm not saying you. I'm saying the royal you and do all that kind of stuff, or we could have a really fruitful conversation. I know the latter is probably unlikely. The former is going to die, dive, you know, devolve into something horrible. So you just don't have these conversations. It's just, I know it's probably surprising to hear people say that, hear me say that, but I just really don't. We're not, when I go to Thanksgiving at my mom's house and everyone's there, we're not going to talk about politics or at least I'm not, I'm happy to follow up with you if you're the one who brings it up, but I'm not going to be the one that brings it up. No. No, way, man happen there. No, yeah. no, anyway, we haven't heard from Maddie yet on this. No, no, so, sorry.
3: Maddie, oh, no, you guys are good. Yeah. I, I actually don't think I have a ton to add only because growing up when I was very young and we had like the family gatherings, I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> so, um, you know, I didn't really experience I have like one direct recollection I never got out of hand, but like uh my dad's side of the family um also very conservative, definitely liked to talk about, you know, what's happening in the world. And for me, it was just an excuse to get out of the room then and just go play video games like my mom would just roll her eyes. I'd be like, oh, they're talking about politics like family time's over, I guess, like PS2 time. Right. Um, and so I'd skedaddle. So that's all I got from it. Right. But I had this distinct memory of like my my uncle, Gary, my my uh, grandma, my dad, just like sitting at the table, you know, all hands folded, like a roundtable conversation, like almost a podcast for back then. Uh, and they were just talking about whatever was happening. At the time, man. And um that was, it was civil. And so I've always had this kind of like, I see people talking about it online, like, oh, you're from the in laws, talk about politics. I never really got a view of that. Right. And then started dating Laylee, started going to her holiday parties. And it's never gotten tense, but it's almost like someone who's always in the room with a chip on their shoulder who kind of needs to get a little something off their chest. Right. Like mm-hmm. you'll just hear kind of out of nowhere during like the, the white elephant Christmas, like <laughs> Hillary, right? It's our, our Trump, right? I'm like, where'd that fucking come from, right? Like, yeah, from the someone's trying to like shoot a warning one. shot. Like, the grenade, that's the good name. Right? And so that's my experience. So I'm just watching people fire off like little things here. or there, seeing who's going to bite. It's like Facts. bait. And yeah, I can say at least for myself, um, I just try not to engage ultimately like i think i walked the line with cog where i don't avoid my family the reason i don't have that now is um you know not to make it sad or anything but like most of my family is passed unfortunately um my cousin elsie would have been a great conversation topic for this my uncle george especially like i know i had those kinds of people in my family who would come in and just talk about the ways of the world. but really like i don't know when, when we all gathered because it was rare it was like we don't want to talk about the shit that bogs us down so we talk about sports and like how are you doing? What have you been up to? You know, even when I was a kid, that was the, the main conversations I overheard or that I was a part of. So, um, I don't know. I guess I always had this like view that was very different uh, when it came to family gatherings. And I think once I was old enough to see those conversations more, it's not even with my own family and I don't see them really happening in Laylee's family often either. Her family's huge. So it's tons of people. So yeah, that's the other thing. I get to see that whole different side of things where I've always had a small family. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, I don't have too much to add on it because like in general with politics, the only time I engage is like with my friend group, like we'll just talk and we just that's it. We just like we'll go on discord, not plan it out like it'll just end up being a topic because it's relevant. Yeah. And we'll just talk about it between us, not because, um, you know, there's anything extreme. It's just more like, you know, I don't get public and talk about it because I know my lane in the sense like, number one, I know I'm not the most educated. I know I, I know enough to talk but i'm not gonna act like i got every solution and also like i i i'm a gaming youtuber like no one should ever come to me for any sort of political advice or political commentary this is, of this any is time. what
0: ja, what did ja rule think of 9-11 this is the joke <laughs>
3: well, there you go <laughs> it, yeah it's just um that's how i've always walked i just you know it's it's really just a matter of like i don't need to engage in it because that's not what I'm here to offer. I have my own thoughts and beliefs. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, people are extreme. I remember during the, I'll say one, one story. I remember during the 2016 election. um, I accidentally liked, I know it was an accident because then I unliked it, but it was in my head because I think Twitter still has it. where like, it lists what tweets you've liked. You go and look for it. Yep. I accidentally liked something political, which again, for me, I just don't do because I just, I don't need it showing up because they'll say like so-and-so like this. And mm. again, it's just the, the, the public affiliation. I'm just not fucking looking for it. Like I'll draw the line on tons of things, but there, it's just like the, the concept back and forth. I just, it's not what I'm interested in doing online. Um, so I accidentally liked something. And I had like during the election, like three people ping me like, Oh, that's who you support. Wow. And I'm like, bro, I didn't even say shit. Like I accidentally liked a tweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. So people are just very high strong and I get it. The passion strong, A lot of these, you know, politics and ethics have really blend together now. You know, they're not all separate. Uh, A lot of people do believe like your politics define the human you are. And in some instances, I get it depending on the subject matter. Um, But yeah, it's why I, not why, it's just something that I try to steer clear of because it's so highly charged and you have to, I just think you have to be in the right setting, not like online forums and whatnot. I think you have to be in the right setting. Like I like to be in a group of friends where if i don't understand something and i talk about it online right like i blast off about something on a podcast i will rightfully get destroyed for it but if i'm in my group of friends and it's like i don't like i i don't understand this there's that understanding and and explanation and like breakdown that you get in that more intimate setting so that's why i like to you know when we get into politics or what's happening around the world the the it's it's much more comfortable for me to talk about it there because i think you're allowed to like you used to be able, allowed to make a mistake or misunderstand yeah. something would probably be the better way to put it you misunderstand like how things are going what information's being cycled what's real what's fake especially now in a day and age with tons of misinformation um it's almost you like i'm, I'm gonna try to ever comment on anything just because you never know what's real and what's fake um you know there are videos that have you know twitter's done a good job adding like the the context thing but there'll be videos circulating. like I can't believe this happened. And it's like a seven year old video. It's awful that it still happened, no. but, but it's connected to like, they're trying to connect it to this real world event happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I just, that's where I fall in that sp- part of the spectrum personally. Um, but, and, and so when it comes to family stuff, like, you know, when my, my parents are coming over in like half an hour and we're not going to talk about politics. It's like, I haven't seen you in a month, like, you know, outside of picking up, R- uh, Rufus, when they watched him for the weekend, like, how are you? How is work? How it like? How have things at home been? Like, my brother moved out too. Like, you know, have you seen him lately? And so on and so forth. Oh, uh, well, that's probably a big change. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, huge, them, right? huge change. Yeah, because we usually just—I mean—we talk on the phone a lot and we we text a lot, but obviously, it's, it's different when you're in the same room and you just have that continuous conversation. So, um yeah, it's like I, I don't want to even—I guess the, the the concluding point to kind of bring it back to the subject is I don't even want to risk like. I'm not afraid of confrontation at all. Naturally. I think you, you can't be when you're in our line of work, but mm-hmm. when it comes to like my friends and family, I'm, I, maybe it's a little existential, but I, I'm like, we have so little time together. I don't want to spend the, the best quality moments like on holidays where we all come together. I don't want to fight with you. I don't like, I just right. and I don't want to get onto subjects that bring that out. Right. That doesn't mean we have to avoid all the tough things. I think there's, strength and like with my friends there's strength and love and that friendship that's born where we have very different opinions in my group but that we can come to understand and love each other like that's part of it um but when those encounters are so infrequent i don't need to talk to you about what's happening in the middle east right now not because i think it's unimportant or because i don't want to but it's just i want to enjoy like talking about you what's happening with you and mm. your interests your and so on and so forth so that's I've always approached it, and so I don't have a ton of experience with it actually happening before my eyes, but I've certainly heard about it quite a lot.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of wisdom in what you said. Yeah, when you're with family, especially at these special occasions and holidays, you only have so much time. So why waste it on that sort of thing? I totally get that. I have a neighbor that – I don't know if this is a Philly thing, but or maybe it's a Philly suburban thing. I don't know, but it's very politically – It's like 50-50, colonosis down the middle in my neighborhood. And nobody really makes their political affiliations known. You know, it could be very, it's very down the line. The only time you'll see is at election time, those one or two people that put the Trump signs out or the Biden signs out. That's the only way you'll ever know. And everybody just kind of agree has this silent agreement to not even discuss it. But I have one neighbor who does that thing where he'll he'll say something just because he's trying to draw it out. You know, mm. he's trying to draw out what I am. So he'll make mm. the Hillary comment or he'll make the Biden comment. <laughs> and I'm just very obtuse in my responses if I even respond at all. And I think it gets him frustrated, but he's trying to... Again, he's trying to tease out. He's like, well, I can't, I don't know. I can't figure this. I think I know what this guy's about. But you're I'm like not media sure.
3: train, man. You just know that the blanket so, answer to get around it. <laughs>
1: it's, like not in, it's like, why is it so important? It's actually kind of funny in a yeah. way, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess, I wonder if there's anybody listening, like, and I guess this exists, although it's probably rare, like that one family that's just like all like, sitting room with like all the House Democrats. Like it's like there is no <laughs> argument because everybody feels the exact same way. Mm. That must be really interesting, but and kind of refreshing. Like I like the idea of that because and it's it's the only thing like I think we hold a lot of power even having this conversation and being cognizant. Like I'm gonna be the person in Thanksgiving because Helene and I are, are hosting and also because I have to be a good host and I don't want to revert back to that thing that happened. <laughs> 15, 20 years ago, but also because I'm bringing in that, I'm bringing in that wherewithal, right? Where it's like, there are going to be people at Thanksgiving that I have to be really careful, like not even to say, oh shit, did you hear like that Stephen King interview on NPR? Because all they're going to hear is I said NPR. And then they're going to be like, NPR, what the fuck is that hippie shit? You know, like that type of stuff. And it's like, you know what I mean? And it's the same thing. Like if they say Fox News, I'm not going to say anything. You know what I mean? But, or if I, you just, so I have to be very careful. You have to mind your P's and Q's a little bit. And it's kind of what it's, it's a game. It's, it's basically a game. You know, I had to be, everything I even say has to be very neutral because they're just, I think they're really entertained by it, you know? And I'm, and it's, a, it's usually okay. But I just, I guess really the, the, the moral of the story is it happened the one time. So even even I'm not immune to it, and it scares me.
2: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, because I enough. don't want
1: to. You know, I don't want that. I don't want the monster to be drawn out. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's deep inside there, but you know, fair. for whatever reason, the the genie came out of the bottle that one time. So I don't know.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> no, real. Some people, in order for them, I've also realized that when you mentioned your your neighbor, some yeah. people have this innate ability where they feel the need to know because. That's the only way they can connect. They need to know where you stand. Right. And, and if they don't get that information, they're going to keep digging and keep pulling until they get the reaction. Right. And then from there, once they get it, they make that determination about you, whether positively or negatively. If I could move forward with you kind of thing. And some people really live their lives that way. So.
1: Which is ugly, right? Because yeah. if that person likes me now and maybe we feel differently politically, mm-hmm. doesn't that say something? Right. You know, and that should tell you so you, we we could we could be cool. Maybe we could yeah. even be friends if we're, you know, on the opposite sides of the political spectrum where we feel a little differently about said issue. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. It's like it's so, it's so silly. Like some of the like we talk about our dad. My I'm very different politically than my father is, but we could have those, like Maddie was saying, having those conversations with those people that you trust where you know maybe you disagree, or maybe you have to have a, an argument where it gets, you know, it gets serious, but it's not going to be contentious. Right. Right. Because you respect one another understanding It's like, it's like, like a safe place. Point of yeah.
3: education and all that yes. I think is the most important aspect is like, you know, we all don't know everything, but by embracing each other's viewpoints, maybe you can get at least closer to the root of the problem.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah I, I It's it's interesting to hear everyone talk on this subject because I am a very political person. I just have learned, I think, as I've gotten older, as I said, to just kind of pick and choose. And it's not really relevant to what we do. Mm. I will say that. I'm the one who is always being alienated by others in my experience by their politics. I don't alienate other people for their politics. And they would say that my politics mean a certain thing or say a certain thing, but they can't even really define my politics. (laughs) So. I just think it's important my I think the reason that we well part of the reason that we thrive at least a major reason that we thrive is just the relative open-mindedness of the product and and the people I don't want to I literally told that to you in
2: person remember when we talk? you, you would talk to a thousand people yeah. and I literally told that to you at, at the wedding I, I said oh hey, okay. it's yeah open-mindedness yeah yeah cool that's, yeah that's thank you and maybe you. that's why it's on my mind like I think
0: mm-hmm. there's something there's just There's a certain camaraderie that can be built with people when they are forced like iron versus iron to just kind of sharpen each other over and over again. And that level of deep respect, I think, can well through Mm -hmm. that. And I think it's also influential on an audience that takes that stuff in, because I think, unfortunately, a lot of entertainment coverage, just not only just games, but a lot of entertainment coverage is deeply partisan. And I'm not even really sure why. Like no one can help themselves or a lot of people can help themselves. And I could, I could describe myself as, as, that as one at one time, but I think there's a time and place for everything. So I, I just, I have political opinions on everything. I can definitely get into arguments with anyone about anything really, but I just don't, I just don't think it really moves the needle. I also, you know? I also feel <clears throat> probably the more
3: contentious thought I have is I, I feel some people aren't genuine. Like we've talked a lot about fake concern and I also think fake caring Mm-hmm. and i think a good example of that is like i talked about it in my bungee video how uh, Bungie was always like a very outwardly like people focused company oh, yeah, yeah, and when yeah. it came time to protect their people <laughs> they did not do that right yeah. and it just makes i know it's a company i'm talking about here but i'm just saying it made it made it very clear like okay so when it was time to to be people focused you were all talk <laughs> and i think many people live that sort of lifestyle like you know the the we talk about the twitter warriors and stuff that like you know they rah rah online but like are you donating money are you volunteering your time that type of stuff like not that everyone has to be on the front lines by any stretch of the imagination i wouldn't create that expectation for any human but i just feel some people aren't genuine in their concern they almost just want to fight yes yeah you can read you can smell that from a mile away that's where you kind of do the the dagan pr trained you know like so accurate yeah shame right and you just yes man them until you're on oh well kids need me I'm on the yeah. way out now so you know say that's the only other thought I had on on the subject in, in the sense that um, I feel some people don't actually want to talk they just want to fight oh definitely
0: what well, was it was uh, wasn't it Marx that said it was the opiate of the people right like the the pulling out all pe- these quotes from Colin now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people people <laughs> it's very easy to manipulate people Politically, and I'm not trying to be a dickhead, but you could just see that over and over and over again. Like you saw it with Ukraine. You're seeing it now with Israel. You're seeing it with a lot of other different things, too. And you it's not about people's opinions. It's about how quickly everyone has an opinion. Mm. How could you possibly not care about Palestine and Israel and then suddenly have an opinion on it because there was a terrorist attack? Unless you're being injected with other people's opinions as your own and that's the kind of stuff that i think is scary where talk doesn't happen and that kind of stuff comes to bear but that's each individual's It's up to each individual to take care of that that's what i was saying earlier about the australia example like the freedom to not care is great but it comes at a cost too so anyway dig
1: are you satisfied with uh, the politics i am thanks for weighing in my friends get ready for some
0: thanks i'm not worried about this i'm not worried about this it's gonna be a great day you will have fun with it though <laughs>
1: Right, you shouldn't go. be worried. Cog's going to come over and help me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Cog. I wouldn't do that to you. Very good. I'm on my own. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: let's go no, around and no. say
0: goodbye to everyone. Cog, let's stick with you. Goodbye to you. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today.
2: Stelly in the building. A lot of fun. LSM fam. Always one of the reflective shows. Always enjoy our cool. time together. Yeah, thank you. Maddie. thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Have a good weekend. Absolutely, thank
3: you. It was a blast. I always, I always feel really good walking away from the show, Con. I want to give you that, that as a yes, a compliment to Sweet. to your vision there, because you know well, the conversational you. show, like kind of going against what we do with like pop culture and nerd stuff, like it was different. But I was, but it, I think it's you, you mentioned one thing. It was, like, it was good for us. And at first, I was like, okay, let's see how it goes. But like, I totally feel like every time i walk from the show it's like i have clarity on life almost yeah I'm like this is like a very i mean using the word restorative like it's very healing like it's it feels good once we're done i hope the audience feels the same i hope when they walk away they have that sense of like greater
0: purpose almost yeah I, thank you for the kind words yeah i think the, the audience is resonating with the show i think it's still topical in some sense mm-hmm. um i have i actually floated this idea to dagan i'll just talk about it here on the show as we close and go to dagan to say goodbye as uh I was like, what if next year we started doing the occasional episode where like everyone went and saw a new movie, movie X, and it wasn't the conversation wasn't about the movie, but it's a way to frame all of our conversations about that week. So we all go see Oppenheimer and then it's nuclear war, uh, science, education, um, I like popcorn, that. Uh, you know, like that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so I was thinking that maybe we'll give it a I little bit more, of that, more purpose. We'll see. Anyway, Dagan, goodbye to you, my friend.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, all three of you boys. I love it. I love that sentiment, Maddie. Thank you for that. That's that's a uh, that's a good feeling. And also nice that you have clarity at such a young age. I'm still waiting. <laughs> Maybe it'll I think my I 50s. have clarity.
0: That should have been the better choice. For it. <laughs> I feel like I have the plan now. <laughs> yeah, you're in great. You're. A, I think you're at your age. You're ahead of the game. I think. Oh my in gosh. Peace so, oh my guys. so much. Oh my gosh. So much so. It's important to strike while the iron's hot. It's funny because it. like last night I was feeling incredibly lost. So hearing that, it's like reaffirming. It's like, okay, thanks guys. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. You're running a thriving business. You have a house, you know, a fiance. You're, you know, a, a pup. <laughs> you have a pup. um he is, he is very much a pup. Pissed on yeah. my floor in here the
3: other day. So <laughs> Very much a pup. <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
0: All right, my friends. Well, thank you again. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness and support. We appreciate you. Couldn't do without you. Patreon.com slash last day media for early ad free access. LastStandMedia.store for merch. We'll see you next time for more. Until then, goodbye. Constellation is a product of Last Stand Media and Colin's Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show was conceived by and is directed and hosted by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is my brother, Dagan Moriarty. The show is produced by Last Stand's executive producer, Dustin Furman, and is edited by associate producer, Ben Smith. All Last Stand theme music is by Ramon Narvaez and all of our graphics and logos are by Dagan Moriarty. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's podcasts, including Constellation, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest support tier, and we're infinitely grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. William Holbert, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, SLV FMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Kyle Johnson, Enucleator, Daniel Beresford, Brian Williamson, Jorge Padua, Vance Cody, Rallo, Mr. Ayub, Casey Raymond, Denny Sniperteeth, Extian, Magic Marker 215, Adam Tabiat, Jordan Vallet, Ross R. Lowe, Kevin Hawley, Hugo Della Guia Austin Lipka, Paul Warren, Harold Eustache, Will Williams, Dino, Roar, Nichols Renaud, Shane Breck, Sean Llewellyn, Michael Mash Potato, Sweaty Magic, Nate Izod, Hargeet Chani, Ellis, Albion, Josh Sullinger, Andrew Roman, Jacob Donovan, Dark Archer SC, My Name is Mayo, Jason R. Sean Hatfield, Christopher Nock, Ryan Daly, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Steve Stompy, Sorta Serious Gaming, Mark Arnold, Whiskey Sin, Zia Parrocks, Sean Miles, Relentless Rex, Alan Tunic, Dustin Klingman, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Jacob Hancock, Luke Aldersley, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Faz. Bear, Michael Buffle, Dan Root, Asac Paredes, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Randall Halsey, Deal or Die, T Bone 007, Josh Godfrey, Kulike Souza, Betty Ann Moriarty, Travis, Joe, Ross Chandler, H Trons, Antonio C., Ryan, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Theo, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Of Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadeth, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapierre, Saul Balcazar, Raul Melendez, Matt Flowers, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Kendrick Caius, Jimmy Rodriguez, Rockin' Ace, Dave Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Adam Hall, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Anthony Marola, Sagib Alam, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Nayman, Toby Ryland, Stewie 108, Andy Miller, Patrick Montgomery, Richter 86, Derek Wechter, Barrett Boswell, Christopher Devayo, Chris Morton, Joel Holcomb, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Logan Sharp, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chand, Organic Produce, Carlos Algaret, Mike Menzel, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Jouche Martin Beck, Jerome Ferrera, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joel McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Uzel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, John Schultz, Tom Quinn, Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Ryan T. Mandel, Porkin Beans, Jean-Francois Forzi, Tony Zuniga, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Corey Dustin, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vazquez, Adam Kinniston, William O'Carroll, Bo, Jorge Pal, Cannonball Jones, Thomas Sablin, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alexander Scott, Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Geo Corsi, Joey Gontaliger, Alex Mones, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, Austin Riley, Paul Joyce, Alan Hopkins, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Don Lee, John Cordero, Ashley Carlson, Marius Garson Peterson, Tyler Harris, Kyle Martin, Madmock Media,
1: Bull Burkholtz, and Jonathan Rice.